This episode is brought to you by Storyblocks. Storyblocks makes it possible for content creators like you to bring your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Head to storyblocks.com slash 302010. That's storyblocks.com slash 302010. And let them help tell your story. Think like a man, The Rock's first major role, and John Goodman hits it home this week on 302010. Welcome everyone to 302010, the Later Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a little journey 30, 20, and 10 years ago in the past. Get it? We're looking at all the great movie, TV, video game, music, anniversaries from 30, 20, and 10 years ago. You are going to go on a quick little time travel in three segments. Hello, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? Uh, I can't even say I had anything funny planned. All it just is R.I.P. Gilbert Godfrey. God damn it! Just stupid. It's just stupid. Ah, yeah. So unfair. So wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and and I'm got kick- Aladdin coming up. Oh, oh damn it! You're right. Father of your daughter. I I just <laughs> love that character so much. I think I just might have a heart attack and die from that <laughs> surprise. <laughs> Uh, but I'm J.R. Rawls, and oh, Cousin Chris, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> Welcome to 302010 with our introductions out of the way. Got to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash later time. Give us five bucks, we'll give you extra shows. Lots of extra stuff coming up. This episode is such a weird smattering of fascinating <laughs> fascinating mediocrity. I just, I just love it. I love this episode um, and pre- preparing for this episode. I have just my own personal. There's some good weird ones in here too, yeah. though. Yes. I, oh yeah. Especially in the in the first segment, which we'll get to right away. If you don't know what we do, we look at the world thirty, twenty, and ten years ago from this date. We're recording at April April fifteenth to the twenty first, and we'll be talking about nineteen ninety two, two thousand two, and twenty twelve. But beginning as we always do in nineteen ninety two, let's hear a little bit about the world of nineteen ninety two before we jump into the media stuff. Uh, Afghan president, oh. Najibula <laughs> resigns. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. So the history of Afghanistan is just divided into a long series of civil wars. And this is the right. end of one and the beginning of another because the Soviets have pulled out because there's no Soviet Union anymore. So they stopped giving Afghanistan aid and that crashes the entire country and the president has to resign. And now the Mujahideen are in charge which mostly sort of are basically warlords who end up becoming the Northern Alliance when we go in in 2001. Uh, In 1996, the Taliban take Kabul and they torture Najibullah to death. The most recent ex-president of Afghanistan, when asked why he fled the country, he said, well... Uh, I didn't want to be killed. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, oddly enough, the Soviet-imposed government actually lasted longer without uh, Soviet support than the previous just-fallen government. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not pretty. They they do it big, and they do it public, and they drag his corpse around, and they hang it up, and, I mean, the uh, real old-school shit. Okay. Yeah. But those guys were all being backed by Pakistan, so Najibullah didn't really have anywhere to go except India, and India said no. Whew. Not yep. something I was aware of as a 12-year-old in 1992. Nope. But, uh, yeah. The other fascinating news tidbit, this seems really late in terms of a <laughs> retail chain not keeping up with us. Sears announces it will now accept credit cards via its catalog order. 
I I have never ordered anything in the Sears catalog, but it's it was huge. It was Amazon by mail, and then became a retail chain, and then yes. gave up on being a retail. <laughs> the last time yeah. I went in there was so sad, but uh, ours is definitely closed. There's a big giant corpse on our mall where the oh, Sears yeah. used to be. You want a good time? Look up Sears catalog house. You used to be able to buy a house in pieces wow. with everything you're going to need. And you could go through and here's the architectural designs and it will ship on a rail car and you just drive it out to some land and you can build a house. Yeah. Uh, when I was young, I used to flip through a Sears catalog from like 1910 or something. What? Just looking at all the old timey stuff. And that was pretty fascinating. I think I looked. Uh, Look at this, a pound of quartz. pretty much stuff like that yeah uh but it really gave you like what it was like to live on little house in the prairie just reading that thing and i read the modern one a couple times but i'm 99 percent sure no one in my family ever bought something from a sears catalog i couldn't tell i know my dad always got his his tires rotated there because our sears was just huge and yes, obviously, I had the cliched adolescent boy flipping through the lingerie section. I definitely did yeah. that and made a, made, a, made a really creepy collage one time. And Never mind. Yeah. It oh, was or... Cosmopolitan magazine all the way for me. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The fun thing about ordering something from a catalog with a credit card is you have to write out the number yeah. as clearly as possible. And they didn't have was the, the CCV number or anything. And you just hope, oh, no one steals my mail and yeah. gets my credit card number. Yeah, I, I could see how it'd be risky, but 1990 credit cards have been around for like 20 years, so like that just seems really late. Longer, yeah, yeah, to yeah. introduce that 20 years ago, I guess it probably wasn't safe. Uh, almost well, R.I.P. Sears. I think they rolled out the Discover card, which I believe was originally backed by Sears, and that was in the 80s. Wow. But they weren't accepting their own credit card yet. <laughs> I, I suppose, but yeah, Sears Sears ruled a surprising amount of purchases around my family back, but mostly in the yeah. store. Dad's a big Craftsman fan, mm. uh, but now you can find Craftsman at Walmart. It's weird. Anyway, moving on to the movies of 1992. Basic Instinct moves back up the charts to number one at the box office. The days when before internet porn, erotic thrillers were just that cool, that sexy. And uh, congratulations to Sharon Stone on your way to becoming a movie star. And hot, also out this week, hot off of us talking about uh, Hard Boiled last week, uh, Rose, Rosamund Kwan, Si Chung Mok, uh, Donnie Yen, and Jet Li in Once Upon a Time in China 2, yeah. which I think I remember seeing this and not the first one for some reason. Yeah, this movie hates dogs. Um, It starts out with burning a dog alive. They don't show that directly, but it's 100% implied. And then in a later scene, there's a girl and they're eating meat and they ask her if she loves dogs and she goes, oh yeah, I love dogs. Dogs are super cute. And they look at each other nervously and say, everyone loves dog in their own way. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad that like right after we talked about the first one for its 30th anniversary, uh, Criterion's coming out with the whole set because these are freaking great. I There's what, five or six Once Upon a Time in China's, including Once Upon mm-hmm. a Time in China and America. And I haven't seen any of them that like, <laughs> well, that was a waste of my time. I looked up a couple of online rankings and two is often number one or number two. It it, it makes the uh, top tier of the Once Upon a Time in China movies. One interesting thing that I found fascinating in this film is that it begins with the protagonist utterly indifferent that China ceded Taiwan. (laughs) I don't think there's a way in 
hell that you could have a Chinese movie in 2022 where the protagonists are like, who cares about Taiwan? I don't care about Taiwan. Why do we care about that far off place? I've never heard of it. Let's not care about Taiwan. <laughs> they can be their own country. Who gives a shit? <laughs> Whatever. Well, yeah, that's, that's funny because it is sort of like the Wong Fei-Hung thing. Is, you know, it's, it's a sort of legendary character and he's... A, you know, like the definition of a reluctant hero. He's always guys like, I just want to work on my Chinese medicine and my acupuncture, and I don't want anyone to bother me. Oh, no, a gang has come and taken over a town. Well, I guess I have to punch every one of them. Okay. <laughs> yeah, these movies are really good. I thought this movie came out way later. The next movie, Mario Ivan Martinez, Luma Cavazos, uh, Regina Torre, uh, Marco Leonardi, and Like Water for Chocolate. Yeah, the most popular foreign language film in the U.S., for years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I worked at a DVD store in the 2000s and there were buttons of this. So like, I'm super confused to see it here in 1992. Yeah. It, it it had legs, man. It was one of those movies that word of mouth, I feel like for a lot of the American audience of just because it's, it's this big melodrama that's also like really romantic and has like a lot of this magical realism where, you know, this woman's cooking affects people physically based on how she's feeling when she's cooking it. And it is directed. Does anyone know who is directed by? No. Nope. Alfonso Arau. Do you know who Alfonso Arau is? I do not. I, of course, know, but why don't you tell the audience? <laughs> yeah, for the, uh, everyone else who doesn't know. know. It is directed by the bad guy from Three Amigos. Oh, shit. Oh, <laughs> nice. Yes, El Guapo. It is written by his wife. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, yeah. Magical realism films take a certain mindset when you're watching them because they're not like Star Wars or Marvel movies, world building. It's mm. more like you're in a dream and whatever magic happens happens because it happens and you can't really try to just have it be a pattern or a orderly system that you can understand the lore of mm -hmm. yeah uh, it's just little little things happen it's like low fantasy where there'd be like one little magical thing but everything else is realistic but you know this family and the couple daughters and the youngest daughter is in love with the guy but the mom says like no you have to stay here and take care of me and so he marries her sister and they're heartbroken and the logging oh the logging <laughs> but it's such a weird tradition because it's like it's not like this tradition that's done by the entire country or the entire village it's it's just this one family that oh yeah the youngest sister has to take care of the mom until the mom is old and doesn't get to have a life at all which is just like what the hell mom <laughs> no one else does this and all the characters in the movie are like that's weird <laughs> You know, it's weird that it's been so long since I saw this. And strangely enough, I kind of thought about it watching Encanto because it's the same oh. thing about like a whole bunch of sisters and there's the one who feels put upon. Like, yeah. why? There's, uh, there's not a lot else that connects them, but it's sort of like, where you're going with us? Okay. Yeah, like Water for Chocolate was, oh, all the girls in the dorms loved it <laughs> years later. It was just, yeah. And I, it's, one of the highest grossing Spanish language films in American history, which wow. is pretty rad considering it's not like an action movie. It's not something that translates very easily. It's a romanza. And, uh, oh, hard pivot. <laughs> hard pivot, but I'm so mad that we didn't have this last week. I know. Oh, it would have been such the perfect time. Tying into the Three oh. Stooges conversation from last week in 2012 and 1992. Jesus, that's a, that's a stupid sentence. Uh, Nancy Merchant, uh, John Sav Savidant, George Zadar Pena, Mel Smith, Bob Nelson, and of course John Turturro in Brain Donors. A pretty, I don't know, I didn't get to rewatch this. 
because it wasn't streaming anywhere for less than twelve fucking dollars. Couldn't rent it anywhere. But um, a total throwback to Three Stooges, Marx Brothers esque comedies. And it, I remember seeing this and being absolutely mystified because I had compartmentalized like this style of comedy is in black and white only, not yeah. in widescreen color. And here it is, a very bizarre movie that the studio kind of dumped the same way the Fairley brothers wanted to get behind resurrecting the Three Stooges. The Zucker brothers of Airplane and Naked Gun fame are producing a Marx Brothers-esque movie. I think the original title was Lame Ducks. They filmed the same location as Duck Soup. And it is, <laughs> yeah. it is easy to love as a kid. I don't know how it holds up, being that it's just such an homage yeah, it is definitely a your mileage may vary because it it is really stupid. Yes. Like really, yeah. really stupid. But that's the point. Like, yes, the, the Marx Brothers, the wittiest they had were like, you know, puns and turns of phrases, but the actual plot is always completely ridiculous. Yes. As yeah. it is here. And I, I love having Nancy Marchand, yes, the mom from the Sopranos, as <laughs> the, you know, the, the stuffy old foil. There has to be like the, oh my, I never, that person. Yeah, that's kind of fun. But I, I think just... you 100% have to be versed in the Stooges and Groucho Marx to like this. I think if you just go in cold, it's going to be too unusual. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah it will be very yeah. strange. But God, Torturo is so fun. It's, it's one. That's a fucking motor mouth. And we never get to see him do that anymore. Yeah, he doesn't do a lot of comedy roles like this, but it, it, I can't even think of anything other than the Jesus to compare John Turturro's role in this. He is so <laughs> gifted and brilliant in this old style of, of banter. And I love it. I love, I love thinking about this movie because uh, it just used to come on cable all the time back in the day. So I knew nothing about this film and I started watching it and there is a super long credit sequence to begin the film. And I legitimately did not know if this was a claymation film because the credits <laughs> went on for so long. I was like, okay, is this, is this some lost claymation film? I, I've but always, no. I've always wanted to do a, some kind of article on that. Like before CG, like, in the 80s and 90s, the animated credit sequence that would be like oh, yeah. five fucking minutes, but yeah. City Slickers and One Crazy Summer. It's I love stuff like that. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I love animated intros. And like this, I don't know, like I feel like this is the perfect movie for a kid of my time who had a father and Cable kind of showing them who the Marx Brothers and Three Stooges were. Oh, I'd like to see something modern like that. Perfect. But the studio kind of buried it. It bombed. Relative obscurity. But if you cared at all about our Three Stooges conversation, I encourage you to check out Brain Donors. It's so weird. Yeah. I think that's kind of the bottom line is like, well, I appreciate like because I love the Marx Brothers, so I appreciate mm -hmm. them trying to do this. It is. It does show how hard it is yeah. because mm -hmm. it's so freaking fast. But yeah, just the oddity of it of like, oh, yes, they they just made another Marx Brothers movie without telling anyone. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Brain Donors, ladies and gentlemen, Brain Donors. A movie I did not see, but I saw the poster for in video stores for years. Art Malik, Shibana Miz, Azmi, uh, uh, Pauline Collins, Om Puri, and uh, Patrick Swayze in City of Joy. So I did not realize that this is, I think, Roland Jaffe's first movie since The Killing Fields, like 10 years earlier. Oh, damn. Whoa. And he decides to make it that he's a filmmaker whose record is just all over the place but or no wait didn't he make the, the mission in 86 anyway yes. yeah but it's yes, about this okay it, it's about patrick swayze who is a dissolution doctor from texas who moves to india and ends up in like the poorest of the poor neighborhoods 
mm-hmm. where he's helping people, but also like doesn't want to get too close, I guess. We have a bunch of Indian stuff floating around this week. And it's a mafia worker film. Like the influence of the mafia on the rickshaw worker union-esque thing in India. Um, I would say it's a bit of an Oscar bait film for Patrick Mm. Swayze. Like he was, okay, done Roadhouse. I want to be taken seriously <laughs> now, so I'm gonna go save the kids in India. Yeah, the, um, the poster alone reads like uh, it's just him with his arms spread on a rickshaw. It looks ridiculous. I saw it for years <laughs> though. Uh, it's beautifully filmed though. Uh, this had a 27 million dollar budget. Uh, oh. It had a lifetime, gr- and that's a 1992 money, so that's a chunk of change. And it made a 14 million dollar gross, so Oops. it did not do well. It was, it was filmed in entirely in india which is very hard to do i've been to india uh had a job interview there for a week it captures the poverty of india pretty well but there's also non-poverty areas of india that aren't really shown in this film but that's not the point of it so Mm. you know india big big y'all yeah big diverse Mm -hmm. but if it's just meant to show you a certain section of calcutta i think it gets you into the area of the slums and the problems of them fairly well Hmm. okay yeah it it split critics pretty hard where a lot of them just said like oh this is some sappy sort of like won't someone think of the children white savior nonsense and some of them was like nah i felt like i was meeting like a part of the world that i didn't know anything about and it was treated uh, interestingly so that's the side i fall on for what it's Eh. worth all right city of joy because boy do i want to move on to the next film my (laughs) biggest surprise never really heard of oh everybody in this movie is wonderful uh clarence williams the third glenda glenn turman uh charles martin smith and jeff goldblum and Lawrence fishburne and I think they two call of my him Larry in there. Yes, he's Larry. La- this is before he changed his name. It's his last role as Larry. Larry Fishburne. Okay. Deep <laughs> cover. Do what you want to but on these streets, one color rules. Green. It's not ten kilos we want. We want twenty. You under arrest. Johnny got busted. But he kept his mouth shut. On these streets, he's got to be the perfect cop. Don't blow your cover. To catch the perfect criminal. Boys in the Hood's Larry Fishburne. I didn't blow my cover. With new music by Dr. Dre. Deep cover. Wow. I fucking loved this movie. Um, right. I had Before never seen Before we it. even get into the movie, can we talk about the fact that they're promoting it as music by Dr. Yes. Dre? Yeah. Is something, it's his solo debut. Yes. And the song is Dr. Dre introducing Snoop Dogg. It's Dogg. Snoop Dogg's first recorded anything uh, for this movie. Whoa. It, yeah. It is, is yeah. His album debut is is for the single for this movie, which is called Deep Cover One Eight Seven. I wasn't that familiar with it, but it's it's Dre's first recording following the breakup of NWA. Yeah. So, and so right there, I know I've seen the soundtrack in a bunch of collections. It's one of those where it's like people forget that it's a movie like Judgment Night, yeah. but the soundtrack is so good. Oh God, I can't wait to talk about <laughs> Judgment Night. What's that like a year off? Uh, but anyway, Deep Cover. Deep Cover, a fucking great crime movie. Gave me, gave me, dude, so many shades of Departed where mm-hmm. Lawrence, yeah, Lawrence, totally. mm-hmm. I was thinking the same thing. Yes. I was thinking Departed was taking notes from this film there's, because it's there's, all about a cop who goes in so deep that he doesn't really feel like a cop anymore and he just feels like a criminal doing crime stuff. I mean, he's committing yeah. some of the most heinous crimes a criminal can 
can do. Uh, and his boss is sort of like, eh, I want to get ahead in this business. Just go for it. And his, his, his boss is so much like Marky Mark in Departed, including using the N-word at Lawrence Fishburne. It's fucking nuts how much <laughs> I didn't realize Martin Scorsese may have borrowed from Deep Cover. But I, I just got to say, it might be my, other than Boys in the Hood, my favorite Lawrence Fishburne role. He's fucking awesome. And it's mm. my favorite Jeff Goldblum role I've ever seen. I mean, he is acting so off type. I mean, yeah. this is not the Jeff Goldblum you have seen in any other film. I can't think of a single he, time he's acted a character like. Yeah, he, if he's in a serious movie, he turns down the Goldblum. Here, it is crank. The, yeah, ha ha ha. ha improvise. <laughs> it, it's cranked to eleven in a serious film, and he's fucking awesome. As <laughs> as how would you even describe him? He he's sort of a mid-tier executive lawyer for the mafia who Lawrence Fishburne teams up with to take on the big guys. And un- I don't know, it, it, it goes all over the place, but it's such a cool crime movie and lit and shot so well. Directed by Mac from Predator, Bill Duke. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I fucking love this movie. I, this is a huge surprise for me. Yeah. I've never just... heard of it. No. I've never uh, was aware of its existence, washed it blind, and got instantly sucked in. Great acting, tight script, really impressive. I can see why it got a criterion cut. Oh, it nice. did. Yeah, I, I yeah, thoroughly recommend I... this movie. Yeah, I, I was just, there was a point, though, for me where it's like so much of the time, you know, he's undercover with these like really scary dudes. And it'll turn out one of the scary dudes is also working for the cops. Yeah, And now it's like one of them has to die. And it's like he gets yeah. betrayed more by informants than by non-informants. Not like, unlike Departed. Mm. Like they're just cut. It's cause Yeah. Everyone is backstabbing everyone else. Not necessarily because of drug stuff, because of cop stuff. Like, yeah. I mean, the whole point, the cops are just another gang. Yeah. Yeah. There's also the most intense game of slapjack I've ever <laughs> seen in film. You know, slapjack, it's where you hold your palms out and the other person tries to slap them before you yank them away. And it is presented as this life or death yeah. brutal struggle. Fucking no country and... for old men coin toss. And <laughs> <laughs> That was an interesting choice. Not, not one I recommend any future filmmakers choose slapjack as your moment of depravity and danger. Just pick something else anything yeah so oh man we have so many recommends coming off this and then we're gonna hit the big the big guy Ooh. this week and it's so Ugh. disappointing yeah once upon a time in china too yes like water for chocolate yes brain donors your mileage may vary but yes deep cover absolutely and then oh uh jesus number uh, two with the box complicated office. relationship we we'll have with this one james cromwell Peter Donat, Bruce Boxleitner, Trini Alvar- Alvarado, Kelly McGillis, and John Goodman in The Babe. In a simpler time, they played for the love of the game. There's three of Bones. Let's have a hell of a season. He loved it the most. Favor. Yeah, I know. And played it the best. I don't even like baseball, but I love to watch you, Sasako. That's going to sock you a home run. Would that make you feel better, Johnny? John Goodman, the babe, rated PG. I have not seen this in a while. My overall question: Is this a good movie? Because as as someone, not even close. Here's here, not not to go off on a personal rant too much, but uh, when I was a little kid, whenever I have to do a book report on somebody, my dad would always push mostly like ball players, Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth. So like I'd read having 
feigning an interest in baseball, I had a lot of knowledge of Babe Ruth. He, my dad's like, we're definitely going to see this movie in the theaters. And we did. I taped it off of television and watched it all the time because I, you know, did you have those movies you watched all the time because you thought you were supposed to? I don't know if I enjoy this, but I have access to this. Hmm. We didn't have any premium cable channels, just a couple of th- I taped it w- with commercials. And I have not watched this in 30 years, but I probably watched it over 15 times. So for me watching this, it was like a warm hug opening up areas of my brain I thought had been long closed. But everything else about about it is like, man, this is the shittiest biopic I've ever seen. (laughs) This is the template Uh, for every bad biopic. Yeah, I I was definitely thinking of the Dewey Cox story at multiple times. You know, Mm -hmm. Babe Ruth has to think about every event of his life before he can (laughs) hit those final three home runs. It sure is a dark fucking period of my life. And, and, and not only this th- is fundamentally a sad movie about a sad man. It's like yeah. hanging out with your alcoholic uncle. Babe Ruth drank all day and hit balls real far, but had a deeply flawed relationship with every Everyone. last person in this film. Mm-hmm. Both of his wives, all of his teammates, he is manager. The only positive relationships we see him have with anyone is children, children which and he has on a very superficial level. He's like having a positive relationship with them in the same way the Santa Claus at the mall has a positive relationship. He gives them a little present and then he never sees them again. And that's his interaction. It's, mm. uh, it's said in the film, Babe Ruth is like the kid in the candy store eating everything he can before he gets caught. And that's to me is summing up Babe Ruth to a T. It's just this guy feeding a hole inside of him that will never be filled. Which you could make a good movie about. Yeah. But yeah, I it's it's a tough call for me whether this or 1948's the Babe Ruth story is worse. I think that one is even more glossy and it really is just like a perfect guy with no real problems and everyone <laughs> loves him and never got divorced. Well, I mean that's, that's being he's made wonderful. while he's still alive with his cooperation. Yeah, and, it's yeah. that was bad. And, and, and um, even even I feel I feel bad for John Goodman because he said like this didn't turn out as he had hoped. He also talked about like realizing he had a problem that he had to lose weight to play baby. <laughs> yeah. I remember Janine Garofalo <laughs> making a joke about that uh, for women film, but John Goodman had to lose weight to play the fattest baseball player ever, and <laughs> and he still didn't lose enough because like holy uh, yeah. I can't believe he's like, perfectly cast, but he needed to lose an additional fifty pounds. Yeah, he just—you cannot buy John Goodman as an athlete in this because he's still so fucking big. But like, even some of the criticisms at the time is like, he doesn't even look like Babe Ruth. I'm like, what the fuck? That? What are you talking about? Like, oh, this movie is for people who remember watching Babe Ruth because they're still around. <laughs> and and yeah, so okay, so maybe that makes a little more sense. But I, I feel like Babe Ruth today is not famous in the same Me way too. he was famous in 1992. Right. Like, the Sandlot I, is, a, is your perfect indicator of that, because they, they, the Sandlot treats Babe Ruth as in somebody every kid knows about, and I don't mm-hmm. think that's the case anymore. I think, no, I think they I, think the candy bar first. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah well, which is mentioned I mean, in this film as yeah. not being named after him. Right. Say, I, don't, I don't know if they they know, like, when was Babe Ruth playing? Why is he important? It's just old-timey stuff. I don't know. Old time yeah. stuff. Well, the, uh, fascinating to me only, I got the vibe watching it again. He's <laughs> the only story I could compare him to is Andre the Giant. Kind of an, oh. 
ill-fitting, one of the biggest in his industry, but he doesn't really look the part, but he's the most famous, but his life is kind of filled with pain, which he uses things to dull that. And uh, the fascinating part of Babe life is the tragedy, really. And I think the biggest eye-rolly thing about this movie is this movie codifies a lot of myths. Uh, biopics will always rearrange things around to, you know, make sense story-wise, but this just flat out lies about shit and and, oh. and turns rumors and like like literally mythic stuff into fact. And uh, I know nothing about the man other than yeah, he was the greatest ball player of all time right. if you're over the age of 97. But the the pointing the bat at the that may not have happened hitting the home runs for the kid that probably didn't happen but this movie make you know makes it out yeah this all really happened <laughs> but yeah the latter part the, the more fascinating part of Babe Ruth's life that I'd love to see is his latter days because holy shit he was that's the Andre the Giant portion to me and uh, hopefully we'll get a good movie made of Andre because he is the shit uh but Babe Ruth I Who think play Andre yeah I was gonna say you're oh, gonna have God. to computer generate him man no yeah I don't even like Holy shit! Who would you can't gain a gain feet feet to? <laughs> we to we need you to gain two feet for this role. Holy Can you shit! Do you that gotta, you got to mocap it. Uh, yeah. Maybe Gene Simmons uh, <laughs> facially <laughs> and hair wise. Uh, I don't know. I, I but yeah, I'd love to see an Andre the Giant movie, even if it did nothing but lie to you and tug, tug on your heartstrings and be like the Babe. But the Babe sucks. But I don't know if you've ever had one of those movies, man, that you just watched over and over again and hadn't thought about and several decades this and like wild hearts can't be broken for me not yeah. recommended but uh for me it was uh it felt like warm bath water watching this at like 2 a.m <laughs> 1992 t- television april 15th to the 21st dude we got the tv movie boris and natasha with <laughs> sally kellerman and dave thomas and directed by charles martin smith who we just talked about being in deep cover wow. why why would you make a boris and natasha movie why would because... you try to release it to theaters and then realize that's a terrible mistake and put it on showtime that's i remember the soviet union just fell um... and everyone is rushing to make a movie where you can have humorous russian russian to do that eh? Uh... Eh? Eh? I don't know. I think I told that story before. They're not my, my my best friend, uh, my he had three brothers. His parents got had one of those like just stereotypically messy divorces, and just everyone sleeping in like sleeping bags on the floor in this small apartment. Once they separate, four kids. Dad always would disappear, give us like nine pizzas, five movie rentals, and just leave. And <laughs> and before they had furniture, his dad had bought the Rocky and Bullwinkle out on VHS marquee stand-ups and that that was all around the house so he rented showtime he he subscribed subscribed to showtime for us to watch this film and the disappointment for children who aren't surely rocky and bullwinkle are going to be in this movie and they are definitely not it's it's so bizarre to think about adapting a franchise which at this point rocky and bullwinkle is fucking everywhere it is on numerous channels. Everybody, 40, 40 years of children and adults are familiar with it. And I've always stood up for Rocky and Bullwinkle because the animation is shit, but the writing is great for the most part. It, it, it's so, and it moves so fast. For its time, I can't think of a more clever animated show. Yeah. And I mean, they take a lot of swings and they don't all, not a good batting average, yeah. but when it's funny, like, Jesus, that was kind of ahead of its time. And the narrator is fantastic. Love Rocky and Bullwinkle. 
but uh, not this movie. And I remember just, we didn't have reviews to read, so we had to live the disappointment in real time that there would be no Rocky and Bullwinkle in this movie. Mm. But why? I, I still couldn't even call it the worst Rocky and Bullwinkle movie because there's a Rocky and Bullwinkle movie that's terrible. I prefer the Rocky and wow. Bullwinkle movie. Oh, this. shit. All right. Yeah. That actually has some good jokes. Okay. This I gave up on. I, I watched some clips and went, why am I doing this to myself? I have better things to do. Yeah, I, I tried to watch a clip and I gave up on one single. I do also think it's telling that you can't find this anywhere. It's not streaming. It's not free on YouTube. No one went, you know, I'm no such one. a huge fan nope. of the schlock from my youth. I'm going to put it up. Nope. Nope. Nowhere. That's too bad. I love Dave Thomas. I love Sally Kellerman. R.I.P. I mean, yeah. decent casting and all that, but I, I think that fate befell a lot of Showtime stuff. HBO stuff mm-hmm. earlier on, like a lot of that stuff is just gone forever because they didn't own it. But like, why is it, what the fuck? This was your movie. It's, it's produced by Showtime. Gets you. What are you doing? Uh, I guess nobody really wants to see it that bad. But anyway, The Fifth Corner is a television show that debuts this week. Oh my gosh. This has a plot that goes on and on and on. <laughs> Play the intro and stop it when you get tired of them explaining the plot of this TV show to you. He woke up and couldn't remember who he was, where he'd been, or what he'd done. And then he discovered he was not just one man, but many. A spy with many talents. An operative for a billionaire's secret organization that wants him back. chance to survive lies with a woman who holds the key to his past and knows the secrets of his soul. Good Lord. <laughs> but James Coburn. I know. It's it's James Coburn narrating the premise for a male orphan black, basically. And yeah, yeah I've never heard of this show, so I don't know. Uh, it had six episodes and three never aired. So. Oh. <laughs> This is also great news for kids of this era, even though I found these sort of annoying. In terms of the uh, news is something corporations don't do for money, Nickelodeon would forego vital ad revenue time and debut Nick News, both in, I think it had already existed in like interstitials in between shows, but it got its own show uh, this week. Linda Ellerby, is that her name? Yeah. 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 And uh, again, I keep recommending the documentary, The Orange Years, which shows the wonderfully calculated look at making Nickelodeon and making special programming that was different than what networks were doing. Nickelodeon is one of those, these years of Nickelodeon are worthy of your nostalgia because uh, a lot of this stuff is great and very thoughtful. And I was moved to tears with this clip in the documentary that I had not seen. Magic Johnson is talking to children about having HIV, including children who also have HIV. So this little girl is talking to him about having HIV and starts crying. And Jesus Christ. Say something. Dad, I want people to know that we're just normal people. Aw, you don't have to cry. Because we are normal people, okay? We are. Good Lord. Yeah, Yeah. bring out the uh, handkerchief, because oof. He says he's totally comfortable. It's a great moment of television that has kind of fallen into obscurity because these conversations are kind of only just starting to happen. I am honestly amazed at the bravery of Nick News in 1992. Yeah. I 
I don't think you could have Netflix kids or Disney Plus or Hulu for kids have a frank discussion like we see Magic having in this episode. Or even just a channel devoting time to issues and not other commercials or promoting its own shit. I just and don't see that happen anymore. It's news told from the perspective of kids. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily adults just lecturing to kids. It's trying to tell the story to kids on the kids level that will interest kids in how it affects them. Mm. And it's it's really impressive. There wasn't any effort to cancel this show back in 1992 because it covers everything from race to gender to LGBTQ issues. And it's the longest running Nickelodeon show of all time. Wow. Wow, even, even more than yeah. SpongeBob. Even uh, more than SpongeBob. Correct. Yeah, Nick News. I didn't. I. I only realizing recently, like what a great service that was. As a little kid, I am politely aware of the biggest issues of the day because Nickelodeon bothered to tell me about AIDS and drugs and war. Very strange because I just don't see an equivalent and I do occasionally watch Kids Network so I just, I just don't think it's still happening. Speaking of stuff I was watching as a kid, oh, cue that harmonica music. Perfect Strangers concludes. No, it oh. almost concludes. Oh. Uh, this is a special episode where Balky and Marianne weds and Larry and his now wife, she gets pregnant. Uh, so it's a two-parter, and they continue into a half season more. Oh, but okay. to me, this is really should be the end <laughs> of Perfect Strangers because Perfect Strangers is a Bachelor sitcom. It's about yeah. Cousin Larry and his crazy cousin, Balky, who moves in with him Mules. and the wacky adventures they get into. And when they get married and with kids, that's really not where those characters should go. Right. But I, I am kind of amazed at how, to me, this is a perfect example of the characters are stars, but the actors are not stars. Uh, because the actors who played Balky and Cousin Larry were huge in the 80s and 90s. But that's only because of Balky and Cousin Larry. <laughs> Once the show went off the air, I feel like those two actors just disappeared and they were nothing without those characters. And they worked so well together as those two characters, but nothing Bronson else. Bronson Pinchot is great in True Romance. That's coming up. Yeah, Bronson Pinchot is great in True Romance. Mark Lynn <laughs> Baker was kind of always a stage guy. Yeah. And so was went back to mostly Broadway stiff. And, and let's also, this is also the era, this goes into syndication. These two never have to work again. No, they, very true. Never very have true. to work again. Yeah, maybe they just don't want to be stars. Would you say that the Perfect Strangers theme song is the most optimistic theme yes. song of the 1980s? And the, the intro in general. It is the basis for every parody of an 80s sitcom opening. Yeah. A montage of doing silly things, bumping into one another with the doors, uh, being in a hot air balloon. It has yeah, everything. What, what is the line? Is it standing tall on the wings of my dreams? Yes. 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 Wow. Yeah. Which is weird because guys who work in an office. Neither character <laughs> seem very ambitious in the show. It's mostly about lying to get laid. This is stupid. I used to do a Christmas special blog and I love doing it so much. I was going to do periodic reviews of other holiday specials throughout the year. I stopped when I found a Claymation Easter. That is <laughs> Will Fitton's <laughs> Claymation Easter. It comes out this week. If you own a, clay, a, car, a Claymation Christmas, which is great, uh, you probably own this too, because it's, it's kind of only available as a package special feature on the more famous holiday special. 
It is so insane. Yes. It starts with gross pigs, not like cute, happy pigs, but just like utterly gross pigs who work in an office about to go bankrupt, who then decide to kill the Easter bunny yes. on the off chance they will get the job. But an ancient tradition means that if the Easter bunny isn't found, then whoever wins the race is the next Easter bunny. So the pigs enter the race, but then they're told they can't enter the race because they're not bunnies. But then the pig says that his psychiatrist feels he's always been a bunny trapped in Jesus a Christ. pig bunny. And, and then he traps his psychiatrist down a well in a sequence that is very much like Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> and then they reference the ACLU, how they need to let him compete in a sporting event. And then the original Easter Bunny gets trapped in a shark's stomach and makes a colon joke. Uh... And then the competition ends in the traditional contest event of freeway crossing. I swear I am not making any of that <laughs> it's, up. It's a sweaty, I... sweaty first draft of Nightmare Before Christmas. And, and it, it is... I don't know. I, I I do love this style of animation. Again, it is claymation. This is the only claymation there is. Will Vinton owns that trademark. Everything else is stop motion, baby. Claymation is only this. Because uh, I think it's not all stop motion uses clay, you dum-dums. There's no Laiku clay movies. Crazies. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, claymation but yeah. Easter's out of wins an Emmy. Weird. I don't, I, I don't understand. <laughs> There's not a lot of competition for right. holiday specials. Every, I guess everyone was always trying to chase that big Charlie Brown Christmas money for alternative holidays, and it never worked. Yeah, it never really panned out. And, and, and I, I buy every one of those specials I can, and they're almost always included as special features on the Christmas stuff. Christmas is the only one the majority of, let's just say, Americans celebrate in the same way. You ever have friends who got presents on Easter? Fucking bullshit. What? So, yeah, I know. It's stupid. It, <laughs> Does that include stuffed animals? Uh, maybe. No, no, no. I had friends who like literally got Easter presents. Several groups of friends, and I was always no, so jealous. No, then no. Mm. I, I never got like a Nintendo game for yeah, that would happen. Easter. No, no. But, but like, I, I got uh, like candy for Easter and maybe a stuffed animal sometimes. Right. But that's what I'm saying. Like, so Easter is a silly holiday that like, you know, if you don't have young children, you probably don't celebrate at all. Yep. And, you know, let alone if you're Jewish. Uh, yep. <laughs> and, and this Y'all is... Y'all be stealing our holidays. This Did is my... still Easter too? Huh? Kind of. Kind of? What, what's bit. it stolen from? Passover? Passover. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, the, the word for Easter in a, a lot of languages is stolen from the word pe- Pesach. Hebrew for Passover. And y'all stalled the eggs. We have eggs, too. I'm learning things. Yeah, that's what you do. Oh, now a lot of Christians are holding their own seders because Mm -hmm. technically the Last Supper is kind of a seder, probably. So that's like the one holiday it makes sense for Christians to be into. They're a Jewish holiday. But y'all are hijacking that shit, and it's not cool. Okay, and our, our, our last anniversary event, and it is an event actually speaking of satyrs i believe there is a passover sketch in this episode oh, shit. of snl yeah, yes it, there is yeah. yes because eliza it, shows up right and, uh... <laughs> that's right because you're supposed to open the door during the the dinner for elijah who's supposed to presage the coming of the messiah and you always open the door and this time he's there and he <laughs> and in he's the really sketch, rude <laughs> he's really rude but in the sketch he does presage the entrance of the messiah because jesus shows up like right. five minutes into the sketch right and jesus shows up and yeah i was at 
my parents' friend's house and we had just had a Passover Seder. And when they opened the door and Jesus walks in, we all, this whole room of Jews went, oh, God! Because <laughs> he's not really our Messiah. They, this gets, this sketch gets played from SNL, gets played a lot of in best ofs, but recently I saw NBC air this whole episode, like on a Saturday before a new episode. It was very strange. But Jerry Seinfeld is a very underrated host of SNL. He's awesome. Yeah. And what I yeah. love most about this episode Everybody's cliched way of making fun of Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry Seinfeld himself did 30 years ago as part of one of the best <laughs> SNL sketches of all time. I saw it live not knowing who Jerry Seinfeld was, but I read it as a parody of semi-hacky 80s stand-ups. But it's when Jerry Seinfeld, another one of SNL's game show sketches, Jerry Seinfeld hosting Stand Up and Win, which is like a Jeopardy style uh, thing where everybody doing Seinfeld impressions to Jerry Seinfeld does jokes uh, in a game show format. Here's our opening question. What's the deal with airplane food? <laughs> Billy! I know. Could this stuff taste any worse? It's like thanks, but no thanks. I'm still stuffed from that huge bag of smoked almonds. That's correct, Billy. That's worth a hundred bucks. It's Rob Schneider, Dana Carvey, and Adam Sandler doing Jerry Seinfeld's impressions and kind of pitch perfect Jerry Seinfeld jokes. This is still his kind of his yeah. style. It, uh, I, I loved a bunch of the throwaway lines in this sketch. Oprah, uh, she's fat, so she's thin, she's fat, she's thin. Pick a body and stick with it. Who are the ad wizards that came up with this one? <laughs> and I think, I don't know if it was a pre-existing stand-up joke. Why don't they make the whole plane of the black box? That is not a Seinfeld joke. That is from this sketch. That's what most people are referencing. A, a sketch about comedy, not actual comedy. Oh, it's so weird. Uh, but Stand Up and Win, it's called. It's on YouTube officially. And I just, I, I love, I think they said Dennis Miller had to try and pitch this to Seinfeld because they knew they were the only ones who knew one another. We're not making fun of you. <laughs> we're making fun the, of people who do you. The final thing I want to mention about this SNL episode is the opening sketch has Bill Clinton confessing to a bunch of things. And one of the things he confesses to is that he made Ishtar. <laughs> now, I don't know about you growing up, but growing up, Ishtar was presented as this mythical bad movie, yep. like this incredibly horrible, awful thing that must not be named lest the old ones come back and devour us all. I had, I had to, I remember I got my first Mad Magazine in 1989, and literally Ishtar is mentioned at least two times per <laughs> issue for the next three years, eventually to where I had to ask my parents about it because... I didn't even know what they were talking about. They just, I remember a comic where somebody got arrested for talking about, a, on a, talking about Ishtar in an airplane because it's a bomb. Ha ha. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Ishtar as a comedy punchline, I was trying to pinpoint, when did we retire that? No, most people yeah, don't even know what that is. I feel like it's in the next couple of years. Like, I feel like well, 1992 is borderline. Maybe I feel like the, it sort of got replaced by other things. Waterworld. Like it became Waterworld for yeah. a while. Yeah. It, it became yeah. Waterworld. And I don't know who is it now? Who is like the legendary bomb everyone makes fun of? But that's, of? we have so I much. Think it's still Waterworld. Yeah. <laughs> we have so much content. I don't think anybody has time to dwell on things they didn't see. So, but it would be, in my opinion, if you listen to a few episodes ago, John Carter. John Carter yeah. is the biggest disaster of like the last 10 years. But and, it didn't make a comedy ripple. I never saw yeah. it mentioned as a yeah. huge bomb like one month after. Once again, because the title sucks ass. 
if you <laughs> if you just yeah. said John Carter of Mars, it could be a perfect punchline. Uh, yeah. But also Ishtar, it's not that bad. It's also not that good. Right, and it's. More I laughed th- though. I watched it. I I got some laughs. So shut is, up. But but by the way, is one of the most fascinating movies to read about the making of. Anyway, moving on to games of 1992, we got some Game Boy stuff in here, like Square Deal. I, uh, uh, so when Game Boy games get remade. They're always the best Game Boy games. They're linked to the past. There's uh, Metroid 2, these big Game Boy games. Mm -hmm. That is not at all representative (laughs) of what Game Boy games was. Square Deal is. It's match three with a poker hand. Most Game Boy Mm -hmm. games were these throwaway games, really small, not very in-depth. And that gets forgotten because the only thing that ever lives on is the big Game Boy games, which get remade every now and again. But, I mean, anybody could make this game because it's just cards. But a game not anybody can make. Kirby's Dreamland hits 30 uh, this week. Is it in America, I'm guessing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is the start of American Kirby. Nice and uh, white. Japanese Kirby is much more cute. American Kirby is a bit more of a badass. And you can just compare the commercials between the two for some cultural differences. But there. this is, uh, they. I guess they make the mistake or they don't know what color Kirby is. So he is white. Well, here. it's a Game Boy. A Game so Boy is black, black and white. But he's so white on the cover and he's white in the commercial. Yeah. And and I, yep. I, I, don't, I think in Japan... It was kind of decided he was pink, but Americans do do whatever you want with Kirby. So he's white here, even though it is just a Game Boy game. And, and, and I do love that that the Japanese marketing, if you compare the box arts, they're always almost the same, but they make Kirby look aggressive in America by putting his brows down in Japan. It's just, I'm cute. Same pose, different eyes. Uh, Kirby, uh, happy birthday. But it's also a proto-Kirby because this Kirby cannot gain the abilities of the enemies. He he just eats them and shoot out stars. But at no point in this version does he gain huh. powers. I forgot. I forgot. I, yeah, I don't even know. I don't even know that. Just because I didn't get to play till the NES uh, Kirby's Adventure because I didn't have a Game Boy. But yeah. Yeah. In, in 1992, I think I was just getting into video game extreme marketing Mm -hmm. as we're going to come up on a certain Tuesday pretty soon. And uh, I skipped Kirby because I kind of thought, ah, that's a little too childish. Commercial. I think he eats Rambo. Yeah. Yeah. They're (laughs) they're trying to make him show just how badass this guy is. All right. And then just, oh, hot on the heels of me picking up that Spider-Man No Way Home Blu-ray. This week in the Amazing Spider-Man 361, Carnage. He was in Venom 2. Carnage debuts. Different Venom. I'm not a huge mm. fan of Carnage. And yeah, I, I'm not either. But in 1992, again, extreme rules. Yeah. And Carnage was just the extreme, more violent version of Venom. What if Venom, but just a complete sociopathic killer with no motivation other than being evil? And made of hot so. dogs. And, <laughs> and, uh, uh, looks like he's made of hot dogs. 1992 music, uh, Save the Best for Last by Vanessa Williams is still number one, and there's a huge Freddie Mercury tribute concert at Wembley Stadium. Oh, Uh, this concert's so good. Big chunks of it are on YouTube. Yeah. I recommend all of it. Uh, They they basically just announced, we're going to do a tribute concert with Queen for Freddie Mercury. We're going to try to get whoever we can. They didn't announce the lineup. They opened up ticket sales. 72,000 snapped up immediately. Yeah. Without announcing the lineup. And then the lineup was Robert Plant, 
Spinal Tap, Def Leppard, Metallica. David Bowie, U2. David it, Bowie, Seal, Lisa Stansfield, George shit. Michael fucking kills uh, Elton John. It's like, it's ridiculous. And so much of it is so good. A lot of good Queen covers. It, was, it wasn't even like not even a year ago I saw... There's some behind the scenes rehearsal footage of David Bowie and Annie Lennox working on Under Pressure. Mm-hmm. And there's this great moment where David Bowie is smoking and singing at the same time. He's not <laughs> trying very hard. But there's a point where like Annie Lennox starts going and he looks at her and he looks over at Brian May and is like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah. This is going to be good. Yeah. I, I never do the Mercury part in uh, Under Pressure on karaoke. Holy shit. That's hard. Yeah. It is fucking hard. But new music releases out in 1992, April 15th to the 21st. We got East Side Story by Kid Frost, The End Complete by Obituary, Hotwired by The Soup Dragons, The Wildlife by Slaughter, Wish by The Cure, Pavement, uh, Pavement Slanted and Enchanted, and The Beastie Boys Check Your Head, which are both on Rolling Stone's 500 uh, greatest albums of all time. Oh, they're both so good. And so I went back and listened to Slanted and Enchanted again some more. And I was like, yep, this is what indie rock sounded like to me. And everything else, <laughs> I don't like. <laughs> um, I only know them as the band that MTV puts on whenever anybody enters a barbershop. And <laughs> I hope that's not too deep a reference. We're, so we're going to close out with So What You Want by the Beastie Boys. And yeah, I thought this was much more recent. This is not the, not their silly party so much, guys. Uh, but that's out this week, 30 years ago. But stay right there. we got a lot to talk about in 2002. Don't move. Are you a content creator like the good folks here at 302010? If so, I don't need to tell you how time-consuming it can be to go searching for that perfect video clip, image, sound, or piece of music to put the finishing touches on your latest project. How nice would it be to have a huge library of royalty-free content at your fingertips? Well, I have good news. Storyblocks is here to help creators like you bring all your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Storyblocks gives you access to a huge, demand-driven library of 4K and HD footage, After Effects and Premiere Pro templates, music, images, sound effects, and more to give you everything you need to bring your stories to life. Assets are royalty-free, so you can use your downloaded content anywhere for commercial and personal use. Their unlimited all-access plan includes over 1 million assets in their library, including things like the background music you're hearing in this very ad. Whether you're a seasoned content creator or someone just dabbling with your first YouTube or Twitch channel, Storyblocks offers a selection of flexible subscriptions that fit every budget and scale to give you all the content and tools you need to focus on what's most important, creating. So what are you waiting for? Get started today at storyblocks.com slash 302010. Once again, that's storyblocks.com slash 302010. Coming in with Foolish by Ashanti. Uh, it's number one this week, because this week is 2002, April 15th to the 21st. We are 10 years in the future, and there are new albums being released, as always, such as Wood and Water by The Promise Ring, Stereo by Paul Westerberg, Frantic by Brian Ferry, 
Hostile Ambient Takeover by the Melvins, Plastic Fang by the John Spencer Blues Explosion, Silver Lining by Bonnie Raitt, uh, Living Well is the Best Revenge by Midtown, Heart to Yours by Michelle Williams, her solo debut from Destiny's Child. Mm. It's official. They've broken up, and she's the first one out the door. And uh, a little bit of news to bring you into the wild, wonderful world of 2002. Four Canadian soldiers are killed in Afghanistan by friendly fire from two United States Air Force F-16s. The first deaths in a combat zone for Canada since the Korean War. Thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, they do their best, though. <laughs> yeah, and you know they were Canadian because they apologized for being killed. <laughs> like, oh, we're sorry. We're, we're sorry. And uh, I just wanted to bring this up because I think we may have missed some of the news. Yeah, just not to get recent on anybody. I just watched that uh, British horror story on Jimmy Savile uh, oh on, on on Netflix. That's the like most prolific every... molester in history. <laughs> uh, so... That's like everything in my Twitter feed right now is people reacting to that. And going, Jesus Christ. And I'm like, I'm scared. I don't want to. Well, America was like completely blind to his stardom and his scandal. But it just highlights how, in a pre-internet world, how easy it was for <sighs> abusers, high-profile abusers, to hide in public. And I was just shocked to see that the R. R Kelly cancels his tour this week due to the PP tape. That is tw uh. that is twenty years old, and, and uh, like R. Kelly only got famously shunned like three years ago. That's how much money that guy was generating that he had this entire wing of people. He, these allegations have been around for, for even longer and in the public eye and nobody gave a shit. Yeah, that's the R. Kelly 20 years of indiscretions with mostly minors and abusive behavior. And it only semi-recently caught up to him. So I just wanted to point that out for people who are astonished by the Jimmy Saffle story like I was. Like, oh, yeah, we got to have the thing. Doing stuff out in the open and not doing much about it. But mm -hmm. with that, so many people bootlegged and watched that tape, and y'all watched child porn. Good job, everybody! Oh God, really? I'm so glad I've never seen it. Of all the things mm -hmm. I could have seen on the internet, I didn't. I didn't go for that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't often be grateful that uh, while I was living in Japan, I was in a huge news blackout-ish situation. But pretty <laughs> glad I missed that story. Yeah, yeah, it's not good. But you probably had a whole bar there you could pee on people in. So, <laughs> oh, no, I kid. But moving into 2002 with a pleasant story. Bend It Like Beckham, a pretty huge surprise hit, kind of out yeah. of nowhere. The most successful British film of all time, only beat by Slumdog Millionaire, which it shares some themes with. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're both about uh, Indian folks and their families and trying to well i mean this is less about trying to survive and more about trying to live your own life your you know authentic life being yourself uh, it's kira knightley's big breakout mm -hmm. and she's been in a bunch of stuff obviously she's been in you know what star wars but barely i don't know if she even gets a line all right she's, the, yeah. she's yeah. mamadella's double or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. oh but this movie is adorable because it's about a sikh british girl who just loves soccer so much but her parents don't want her to play soccer because that means you know running around half naked around boys and you should do something more serious and also we're distracted because your sister's getting married archie punjabi hey there she is then they start worrying like you seem to be like really close with that other girl are you guys like a couple like you're being corrupted by these english people jesus christ um and it's it's just so charming god damn it yeah yeah, yeah it, it's not gonna 
end up in my rotation, but I remember my, my girlfriend was just like, this is a good movie for you to be obsessed with. It is very, yeah. it is very original. And just in the UK, it surprisingly like hit the top of the box office, this tiny micro budgeted, no movie star. And, and here I think it took, it took off more on DVD, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I just wanted to think that like, to Americans, the title is meaningless. But in the UK, <laughs> having David Beckham's name in your in your title did that help? <laughs> and he's in the movie, but uh, yeah. but yeah, he's like one of the the biggest stars in England, and mm-hmm. not known for his acting either. So I wonder if that brought people to theaters in England. I can't really say for sure because I wasn't there. Well, yeah, because I mean, it's football, and everyone loves football, and mm-hmm. it's it's a fun football movie. Besides being you know, a fun coming of age movie and also, you know, it is a nice look into families. Right. And yeah, it's not of like, you know, we, we moved to England for a better life, but we also like don't we, we don't want our kids to lose sight of who they are. We don't want them to suffer from racism and, and that that balancing act, which is pretty yeah, universal for immigrant families. It's not about rejecting all of your culture or rejecting all of the culture of the country you emigrated into. It's about choosing which aspects of each work for you. You know, your culture <laughs> is like your clothes. You can pick whatever parts of it you want to wear. And uh, it handles that pretty well. The Sikh family is very human. They show a lot of flaws in it. They're not this perfect ideal. Uh, They have a fair amount of colorism. They don't want their daughter to play out in the sun because then her skin will get dark. There's a lot of talk about arranged marriages and how they could never allow her to marry a black guy. uh, But a Muslim is definitely like a throat slitting motion. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's a charming, charming movie that doesn't shy away from any aspect. It's humans being human. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's it's directed by an Indian woman that I remember, I think I rented the DVD and some of the extras are just like, here's my mom and she's going to teach you how to make aloo gobi. You're like, <laughs> cool. Okay. Hey, everyone make aloo gobi? Wow, it looks really complicated. Okay, never mind. <laughs> but yeah, Bend It Like Beckham, surprise hit in a star making turn for here nightly man on the total other end of the spectrum a completely forgotten <laughs> piece of shit <laughs> tom verica rd call chris penn agnes bruckner michael pitt brian gosling ben uh, chaplin and sandra bullock in murder by numbers one cannot live fully without embracing crime welcome homicide planning given the sloppy nature of the crime scene they'll have the work cut out for them Man, title by numbers. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, uh, title rough. I mean, I didn't watch this, but I just, having read about it, uh, two high school psychopaths abduct and kill a lady and sandra bullock plays against type as a tough detective who must track them down yeah Yeah. she's always been a hit or miss actress honestly Mm -hmm. you never know what you're getting with her i feel yeah i i appreciate that she is definitely trying for something different here because i mean her last movie was miss congeniality Mm -hmm. but then before that was 28 days which is also like kind of trying for something more serious and i believe she also produced this and she's a much more flawed and miserable character than we're used to seeing Sandra Bullock that's that's for sure she's much tougher as a person mostly it's just for me it was just fun watching Ryan Gosling and Michael Pitt 
Yeah. Be, being little Leopold and Loeb's psychos because yeah, Ryan Gosling is still coming up. You know, he's, he's still pretty unknown, honestly, mm, like unless definitely. you saw the believer, which is a hard watch and a lot of people didn't, but, it, and yet is two years away from the notebook, which is hilarious to me. But yeah, they're these like, you know, creepy Aryan psychopaths who just feel like murdering to see if they can get away with it. And it's weird because like Brian Gosling's clearly the alpha and Michael Pitt's the follower. And then you contrast this with funny games where Michael mm. Pitt is super the alpha psychopath. Ooh, it's like those go together in an interesting way. I mean, it's not that this is good or anything. It was just kind of fun to watch uh, Ryan Gosling psychopath. And Chris Penn is yeah. still alive. I had to double check that. Um, <laughs> love Chris Penn. So it's a big meh. And even yeah. even bigger meh for a yep. lot more money. Big meh. God, I don't like this. Um, but I kind of hate desert mythology movies in general <laughs> peter uh Fascinelli, am i saying that right michael clark duncan mm -hmm. grant hesla uh bernard hill kelly who stephen brand and the leading role debut of Dwayne the rock johnson it's number at the box office because it's the scorpion king a tyrant who enslaved a nation tomorrow my victory is complete a warrior who would become their only hope See the prophecy. The Scorpion King. Mm, the Scorpion King. Kind the of. Scorpion King. Yep, he's credited as the Rock still. There, yeah. there's a wonderful reason for that. Because this is, oh, how many years? 13 years after No Holds Barred, this is WWE's first film that it produced. It's also the one and only one produced under WWF Studios before they lost a lawsuit with the World Wildlife Foundation and changed their name to WWE. So it's the only one of those. And yeah, even, even in the TV commercials, they would say Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And I'm not exactly clear how that works, but... I do think you have to pay Vince McMahon to credit him as The Rock, but now it's just everybody knows, yeah. and you don't have to say it in commercials anymore. But they did hear, because it was a bit of a gamble, especially after the utterly inelegant shoehorning in of this spinoff character in The Mummy Returns, yeah. which yeah. is today more notorious for being, I think, one of the worst examples of CG ever. And I only yeah. checked this out to see that, like, oh, this is much better. And I was reading about nobody nobody knew how to CGI a rock character in Mummy Returns, and they were literally turning in CG dailies up until like a week before the movie came out. Like the director <laughs> hadn't even seen it by the time it came in. Like, oh, it looks so bad. But uh, that is probably the Scorpion King's legacy, even though I think this series well, is five movies deep. Yes, there have been five Scorpion King movies oh with four different actors portraying the Scorpion King. There are no reoccurring characters in any of those movies other than the Scorpion King. And it's utterly theoretical that that Scorpion King is the same Scorpion King in the other Scorpion King movies because the plots do not follow from one to the other at all. So this is a Scorpion King. Hey, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Scorpion King. Oh, it's almost like it's interchangeable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a sword and sorcery movie, definitely in that genre. And in that genre, the costumes are not really combat ready, but in this film, it, it they're just picking out stripper outfits. They're just <laughs> going in there 
and picking out outfits that could be up on the pole for everyone. Um, Dude, every woman's like in a bikini. Just sure. Why not? Yeah. Metal bikinis. But if you're in the mood for sword and sorcery film, I don't think it's that bad. Honestly, yeah. uh, you got to be in the right mindset. I yeah. was in the right mindset. I was living in Japan in 2002 and I came back for one week in America. And it was close to this time because I saw this film and a certain superhero film we'll be talking about in oh. theaters. And that was a huge treat for me because I was in rural Japan, zero movie theaters, right. couldn't see anything. So went in this with the bad movie mindset with a bunch of friends. And, you know, as soon as one of the girls started lustily looking at Dwayne, you know, the friend shouts, looks like someone wants a piece of the rock. We all crack up, you know, that type of attitude you can go in for a good time. There's some solid lines. One line, I was hired to kill you, but I find myself in a position where I judge you more valuable alive than dead. Don't make me change my mind. I like that. That's a solid sword and sorcery film. And it ends with The Rock pulling an arrow out of his back to shoot the main bad guy. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. I just, it kind of just felt like uh, e Egyptian Conan to me. Just, yeah, that's <laughs> yes. fair. I yeah. mean, there, this is very much a Robert E. Howard film. I mean, it's mm. clearly inspired by the, his works. He wrote stuff other than Conan. Conan's his most famous stuff, but it has that feel to it. It's, it's like the only, it's the easiest, cheapest way when you're trying to make a star out of a bodybuilder, put him in something Conan. -y. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And, I hadn't thought of it that way, but yep. Cause it totally, they've done yep. that with the rock numerous times. God damn. Like, uh, uh, he's in a Hercules movie, isn't he? Ugh. Just, is, uh, he is, I, yes. Yeah, he is. You're right. Um, you're right. And, but this film pretty much ended his wrestling career. He did uh, 14 wrestling matches after this came out, but pretty much all of those were in the work before Scorpion King. And so he just pivoted and pivoted fast to the... I, I think that's them. why he's always had such a good relationship with WWE, because they kind of helped push him in the direction of being a movie star. And he kind of, he does come back. He's, he wrestled as recently as like three years ago. He comes back to hype up people here at WrestleMania. But who doesn't like The Rock? Uh, I just don't like this. Yeah, um, I, you know, I, I like The Rock. I don't watch any wrestling. But <laughs> the guy's got ridiculous amounts of charisma. Yeah. He can sell it. It's just that, man. Yeah, Scorpion. Yeah. It's, 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 and it's, it's weird and interesting time to just generally where it's like, oh, we we were needing more action heroes. Yeah, because yes, yeah, Stallone and Schwarzenegger are both kind of getting to the they're getting long in the tooth. Bruce Willis is hanging in there. The, the Rock's yeah. next movie, Schwarzenegger literally hands him the torch. Yeah, and yeah. because he's getting on an age. Yeah, I would say that the Rock in this movie makes him the first big twenty first century action hero. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's fair. It, it feels like it didn't really kick in a high gear until somewhat recently, but like, yeah. yeah. We some, I I almost want to argue Hugh Jackman, but not really because mm. it action, but a no. lot more straight acting. Stuff yeah, didn't do a lot of yeah. being just action. Didn't yeah. do a lot, a lot of not not a lot of non mutant action roles. <laughs> yeah. 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 God, Logan is so good. Congratulations to The Rock at WWE. I, at a glance, I believe this is far and away the most lucrative movie ever produced by WWE Studios. That includes Jingle All the Way 2 with Larry the Cable Guy. Yeah, moving on to television of 2002, where no fan has gone before. A, oh, yes. 
unbelievable ah. Futurama episode that I think had the weird distinction of being its season finale. This is like right around. It is the season finale, correct? Yeah, but it's it's somewhere in the middle of the production order, and they would air further episodes of Futurama, but not many. This is when it's like getting preempted by baseball. So I remember yeah. when I watched this, I thought, well, there's no. This is it for Futurama. It's always been kind of on the bubble as a show, and they figure out a way to get. I don't. I don't know why I did this, but uh, recent last week, not, not in a great mood, not feeling great, and I put on the Star Trek movies, and I fucking love. I don't. I don't have a lot of experience with the actual series, but the movies I love. And so seeing this again this week was just a fucking treat because <laughs> I, I was lucky enough to grow up knowing every Star Trek actor kind of intimately without even ever having seen the show because they were such huge celebrities. And I don't think we'd seen them together if you weren't going to Comic-Cons. And uh, yeah. while they're, while everyone except for Bones is still alive, oh, and I think James Doohan didn't, his agent said no. Yeah, his agent didn't. said no. So they replaced him with my favorite character, Welshy. Well, <laughs> it's such a strange turndown. Like everyone else is doing this, but Scotty says no. Well, obviously, that's not going to stop us from the Star Trek reunion. But they made it work. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's way more hilarious to have Welshy in it than it would be to have James. Yeah, Duke probably in. better than any jokes that would come out of Scotty's actual mouth. But yep. uh, and then they throw in uh, Jonathan Frakes too for as for the TNG fans. He's yeah, got yeah. a joke. But, uh, uh, there's yeah. the, they know they're alien nerds. <laughs> I love it that Star Trek is banned because it because <laughs> a war of the nerds had turned into you, religion. Wait, do you mean the Star Trek Wars the Star or the Star Wars Trek? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. There, there's so many great lines in this uh, episode. I love it when I think Fry says, ah, another classic science fiction show canceled before its time. You know, <laughs> when they were obviously yeah, I, in danger. I, I think that was a major reason I thought this was the end of Futurama. They, they had so many episodes like, well, that works as a pretty good series finale. Like, yeah, this is one. This could work as a series finale. Yeah, like where do you go from here in terms of milestones? What, what gets me, though, is Futurama is just killing it as we've shown episode after episode it's just been well that's a classic mm -hmm. that's a classic and it's like just as they're producing their best stuff that's when they're in the most danger of being canceled and will be canceled at the end of next season jesus i mean technically at the end of this season like everything that airs after this was produced as part of this season even for this episode oh really wow. yeah that's why because it's it's hard Oh, it's confusing because they gave the DVDs out in volumes, but the DVDs are where people like me, like Futurama wasn't in syndication. It wasn't airing daily. I was obsessed with it and like, oh, thank God for this little medium DVD. And that's where it like, I think that's where the fandom really takes off. I wouldn't be surprised if most Futurama fans never saw an episode on Fox, but no. yeah. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. So yeah. the episode is all about how you shouldn't devote yourself utterly to a TV show. And as someone who just finished a podcast about <laughs> one TV show. Should I feel personally attacked? No, I mean, you, you don't feel bad about it. Okay. Well, are, are you going to kidnap members of the Sopranos cast and force them to act out your fan fiction? If I was a cloud-like energy being, yes, I would do that. And then I would say this line. Now, we have a full schedule of events. Ah, uh, can people who hate Star Trek leave? Good question. No, you have to stay even longer. Oh. <laughs> uh, you should start with kidnapping Tony Sirico. If you can kidnap him, 
He's the one. Who, only one who might be a yep. scrapper. In the spirit of uh, Futurama, Matt Groening's other show airs the episode Gump Roast, which is the very last Simpsons clip show. Yes, but, there are no more Simpsons clip shows after this. Yeah, I think there uh, might 20 be... 20 years? They haven't done another clip show. I mean, Correct. I, I think Zero. animation, after they were able to go digital, there wasn't really... The, but this was an absolute necessity because animation was so strenuous to put out 20 episodes a year. No, Nobody did that since, like, the Flintstones. So and also, there was, you know fears that they wouldn't reach the number needed to be a syndicated show yeah there was a time when they were worried about there not being enough simpsons in the world so they were like well let's just throw in a couple of clip show episodes it'll pad out the number of episodes and then we'll we'll definitely make that syndication in a time time the syndication number is like a hundred yeah typically and, and they're at how many 700 <laughs> yeah, they're at around 700, I think, with, with season, another season renewal. But I, I would say this is the weakest clip show. There's not a good overarching theme. It starts out with a Forrest Gump parody, and that could have gone into just a clip show about all the movie references or mm. all the crazy things Homer did, like Forrest Gump, remember when you went to space? Oh, I mean, Homer Simpson, remember when you went to space? Stuff like that. But instead, they take a swerve into a roast of Homer, where then Kang and Kudos arrive in a non-Halloween episode to announce they're judging all of mankind and the fate of all of us rest on Homer's behavior as seen in these clips. That's right. It does give this episode some of like a Halloween episode feel because it is mm. kind of the most fourth wall breaking, especially with the ending song. They'll never stop the Simpsons. Home and shorts, Christmas show, Marge's fling, Homer's bro, Farden well, Flanders fails, whacking snakes, monorail, Mr. Plow, Homer's face, Sideshow Bob, steps on rakes, Lisa's future, Selma's hobby, Marge not proud, Homer chubby, Homer worries, Bart is gay, Bucci, you two, NRA, Hippies, Vegas, and Japan, Octuplets, and Barge Boy Band, Marge murmurs, Maud croaks, Lisa Buddha's Homer totes, Maggie blows, burns away, what else do I have to say? They'll never stop the Simpsons. Have no fears, we've got stories for years. <laughs> I can't believe how well I know this, that, that song. I get every one of those references. Like, yeah. it's not even a millisecond that goes in my brain before I know what they're referencing. It's, but it's... does this mean Kudos and King are real? Oh, well, they they already made an episode where they're real. It's it's, oh, really? it's one of the worst episodes I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, yeah they've already right. semi-canned. Well. But again, it's like The Simpsons 20 years ago had made so many episodes, it could tongue-in-cheek reflect upon itself 20 years ago it, now i want to wonder what is the first joke in the simpsons about how long they've been in the air hmm. mm. couldn't even tell you but I, I like i always said i'm just happy to not have to hear about the flintstones in every article about the simpsons because they've overshadowed it in every single way but for about seven years there there was absolutely no other comparison to the show yep yeah and Oh, now we never have to hear about it. Speaking of nostalgia, uh, we have an, an update on a famous game show. Press your luck, but it's, they try and go, just title it Whammy, which is probably not bad. I think as a little kid, I wasn't really a game show fan. You just tune in periodically, but I always liked the show with the whammies. 
Why not yeah, just call but it Wayne? My theory is we liked Pressure Luck because it had cartoon yes. interstitials. Yes. And mm-hmm. we were so starved of cartoon yep. content that we were willing to watch a honestly not that interesting game show <laughs> just on the chance that we'd see a 10-second funny cartoon. Yes. And I don't think the 2002 audience was there for that desperation i would say absolutely not <laughs> nope so one quick thing about the new pressure luck though in the original there was a guy called michael oh, larson yeah. he broke pressure luck yep. he was a ice cream driver and uh in the non-summer season when he didn't have an ice cream truck to drive he studied pressure luck he vcr'd it and he figured out the pressure luck pattern and then he went on the show and he won far more money than anyone had ever won in the game show at that point. Yeah. And this pressure luck invited all the people he competed against to come back on (laughs) and have a legitimate game. And uh, they played against his brother, Gary Larson. Uh, Oh, no, no relation (laughs) to the far side to compete because uh, Michael Larson had died of throat cancer in 1999. Oh, you see, I, I don't think I, I love that they brought those folks back, but he didn't cheat. No, no, and that's and why he, he got the money. The, he sued the them and said, yeah, there's, there's nothing in your rules that says I can't study your system and beat it. Yeah, yeah, your system was rigged. I figured that out. Give me my money. Yeah, yeah. we at Laser Time did yeah. a whole show about... You're going to have a random pattern. Have a fucking random pattern. The pattern was not random. We did a Laser Time all about game show scandals uh, a few years back, and I think it, somebody on Jeopardy did the same thing. He just noticed, like, they don't really write that many questions. They just kind yeah. of rephrase how the, the what the answer is but the the question ugh, answer is always the same other tv milestones from 20 years ago we probably won't talk well yeah there's still soap operas on the air right yeah yeah the abc soap opera though general general hospital broadcasts its 10,000th episode huh 10,000 hours of television that that is unbelievable and i know jr put this in the air the average american I watches did. 4 hours of tv a day if 100% of that viewing was spent on general hospital it would take 7 years to watch the series every time i try and like look up information on soap operas you kind of only get rewriting of press releases for milestone episodes because the show has such a disposable nature and its audience is so housewifey and not internet savvy there is no online fandom for any of this stuff no youtube yeah. clips of the greatest moments because because there's ten thousand hours to comb through uh, it's oh been running since john f kennedy was wow. president <laughs> wait is it still is it yes yes it's still running jesus this is Christ. one of the few that's still running yeah Oh, and then uh, also a three-season show wonder, A Hundred Deeds of Eddie McDowd, ends this week. And once again, we have a very uh, exposition-heavy intro. I'm Eddie McDowd. I'm a dog, and I talk. I used to be a kid, a bad kid. And then I messed with the wrong guy. Eddie, you have failed as a human. You turned me into a dog. Can you believe this? That freak turned me into a dog. To be a kid again, I have to do 100 good deeds, and the only person who can hear me talk is the last person I picked on. You? Now I'm living with this kid and his family. (laughs) There's more. Oh, my God. That's... Oh, my God. So, yeah, yeah. It's a dog has to do good deeds because he's a former bully. He can only speak to the last kid he bullied. And bit of a dark thing, 
part of his curse is his family forgets he ever existed. Hell Ooh, yeah. Oh, jeez. And I mean, this is a little kid. I mean, I don't like bullies, but it's that's that's kind of a yuck thing. Oh, my parents and siblings and grandparents, no one remembers I existed. I, Thanks. I, I wonder if the show is greenlit because in the title, it speaking of syndication, it promises it'll get there. We will do it this. It did not. Ah. <laughs> uh, it got canceled before it reached syndication numbers. And the big problem was there was no character developed. Eddie always started an episode as a bully, learned a lesson. And then at the start of the next episode, he's a bully again and so on and so forth. That's what it gets um, for trying to steal from the littlest hobo. That's the only dog it, anthology show you need. Uh, originally, the dog was voiced by Seth Green, uh, oh. but he quit after one season, and so far, no one has been able to get an answer from him why. Does <laughs> hmm. nobody care? He, want, he wanted to steal <laughs> half this idea for My Name is Earl somehow? <laughs> mm. uh, and then the, ne- the last episode we have to talk about, 20 years ago, Scrubs, My Way or the Highway uh, episode premieres. This is uh, one of the funniest of season ones. I I don't like to recommend any other podcast on this podcast. Never. But for the first time, I listened to Fake Doctor's Real Friend Mm -hmm. uh, with Zach and Donald, the actors, talking about the show. And that was really enjoyable. They seem like they're really good friends with each other in real life. This episode is about... How do you go about having a power struggle with your friends? Mm. And I think that's an interesting thing to explore because any friendship, you're going to have some type of power struggle. But how do you handle that in a friendly way? Mm. Uh, It also has the very first hint of the future musical episode that will appear. There was one surgical intern I could count on. If you have some moles, I will inspect them. I'll remove tumors from your brain to your rectum. Between the two of us, there is no wall. We're a surgeon and a doc above it all. Cute. Thank you, Scrubs, a show I'm just not very familiar with. Cute is a good adjective for Scrubs. (laughs) Yeah. Very cute. cute. 2002 video games. Oh boy. The operative No Lives Forever is out on PS2. Shout out to my buddy Pat. <laughs> Breath of Fire 2 comes out on GBA. Blender Brothers also out on uh, Game Boy Advance. But uh, the biggie, the Spider-Man the movie on PS2. And to a There's going to be a Spider-Man movie? Uh-huh. They're sure uh, this game, though, makes the fatal mistake of not being Spider-Man 2 for the <laughs> PS2. <laughs> Um, There's some serious flaws with this as a game compared to its sequel. Your webs don't attach to building. So Peter just auto swings in the middle of the sky, Mm -hmm. which doesn't feel like Spider-Man. Yeah, the the recent Sony game sort of like really took that to heart. (laughs) Like you can't swing higher. You can't latch on anything higher than a building in Manhattan. You just can't do it. But there's, oh, I love that game. But um, yeah, but it's sort of the slow history to that Sony first party game i love it it's one of my favorite things ever the best representation of one of my favorite characters oh i watched no way home last night i love spider-man so much let's go out with all you wanted by michelle branch it's on the charts this week uh but when we get back people we got to talk about uh how to think like a man
Mr. and Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of April 15th through 21st, two movies that could not be more different. But I'm going to recommend both of them anyway. Because uh, why not? Starting with 90 years ago this week, the Best Picture winner from 1932, Grand Hotel, comes out. Starring Greta Garbo, John Barrymore, Lionel Barrymore, Joan Crawford, Wallace Beery, Louis Stone. Gene Hirschholt, the namesake of the Oscars Humanitarian Award. And I was going a little back and forth on Twitter with someone who's trying to watch the Best Picture winners in order. And I generally recommend not to do that because the 30s is such a fucking slog where like maybe half of them are watchable and the other half are Cimarron, frankly. And <laughs> this is this is one of the brighter spots, but it is a very 1932 movie, which means the pacing feels really slow to us because the recording sound was such a pain. But it's still worth watching because it's got, you know, these are the biggest stars of that time period of transitioning from silence to sounds. These are all people who worked in silence to some extent uh, were also big stage actors and it's about like these intersecting stories and it's also pretty interesting because it is definitely an interwar film because it takes place in the grand hotel of berlin and everyone's so scarred by world war one and we don't think anything like that ever is going to happen again <laughs> like the the sadness but like the weird optimism uh, i find really interesting of, of interwar films so yeah grand hotel 90 goddamn years old and you can finally finally understand why greta garbo in caricature always says i want to be alone because that's what she says it in the movie anyway as far from grand hotel as one could possibly get 50 years ago this week saw the release of fritz the cat directed by ralph Bakshi, based on the r crumb comics which um Arkham didn't like this movie and um no one honestly should because it's like super offensive but it is really interesting in that it's 1972 porn chic is kind of waning but the x rating is in effect now and that is for mature films for mature adults it does not entirely mean porn yet and so we have an x-rated animated film that they are marketing with it's rated x for a reason because there's sex and drugs and sex and drugs and offensive stereotypes and sex, and then some more drugs. And some of it is funny. Some of it is pretty offensive, but it's more important than it is good, I'll say. But it is really damn interesting to watch. Be like, they they went there. They did that. And some of the satire of hippie culture is actually pretty spot on. So yeah, Fritz the Cat, you want to watch an X-rated 50-year-old animated film? That's where you got to start. So that's it for this week. Stay classic. I'm glad you came. Coming in with Glad You Came by The Wanted, welcoming us to 2012. Welcome to our final segment of 30 2010. Talking about 2012, April 15th to the 21st. New releases in music are also out this week. The Power Within by Dragon Force. Uh, remember Dragon Force? Yeah. We Weather Systems by uh, Anathema. Dead Sudden Living by Cancer Bats. Look Out Now by The Gadabouts. Sweetheart Sweet Light by Spiritualized. Picture Show by Neon Trees. The End is Where We Begin by The Thousand Foot Crutch. Bag of Bones by Europe. Uh, Tragic Idol by Paradise Lost. I'm 
kind of ashamed I've only heard like Europe in that list. Uh, we are young. That by... was sort of their comeback. It was sort of a surprise for everyone of like Europe has a best-selling. Yeah, man, it's, okay. uh, doing great on iTunes thanks to Joe Bluth of We Are Young by Fun featuring Denomine is still number one. Bah. Uh, Pulitzer Prize for Drama goes to Water by the Spoonful by Kiaria Algira, who does no f- fiction award presented. Um, I cannot yep. believe it's been ten years since this. This is how fucking fast time is going. Yeah. Oh, my God. The hologram of late rapper Tupac Shakur features on stage with Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre at the Coachella Music Festival. Look at that. 20 yeah. years to the week. Yeah. They're debuting, and now they're singing with their dead hologram buddy. Honestly, when this happened, I thought holograms were going to become a much right. bigger deal than they ever did. I thought yeah. we were going to see this all the freaking time. I thought Tupac touring was going to be a regular thing. They bring back Elvis maybe one of the Beatles, you know, mm. thought it would be huge. And it was this and nothing else? Well, They've... I think if you see, there's like that, what's that Japanese anime girl that is not real, but you can go to a oh, live yeah. show. And yeah. then I think gorillas do something similar mm-hmm. when they play live shows. But you're right. I, I, but I also didn't, when you look at it, even at the time, like this doesn't, this is a surprising thing to happen, but this doesn't look great. And then I looked in that the what went on behind it, like body doubles and motion capture, because it's a full uncut performance. And you can kind of forget that as you're sitting and watching it on stage, but it's not cobbled together from other video. It had to be made fresh. I actually think wow. I, I, I don't watch is it the voice that, that, that BTS hologrammed in for Coldplay. Uh, recently, yeah, they have a song. <laughs> we, it's how little we pay attention to music. But yeah, the, the Tupac hologram, I think it happened one other time to this extent, and I can't remember what it was. But at the time, there were like a million think pieces on the yeah. internet, internet right. about the ethics of bringing back dead people in holograms, about what this meant for the future of touring, and it meant nothing. Nothing at all. I mean, I hope. I, I just <laughs> I watched that Kenny G documentary recently on HBO. In the 90s, he made a bunch of albums with dead artists, like collaborating with dead artists. And that was a huge, a huge stink was made about that. But what were the repercussions? Nothing. Why mm. Why shouldn't you be able to record a collab with a dead dude? Sounds like a fun idea. Well, I mean, there was that SNL sketch we covered. Uh, <laughs> I am not dead. <laughs> this is how rumors get started. Get started. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, yeah. I, let's all blame Natalie Cole. I, I, I believe it hasn't happened more often because this was a surprisingly time-consuming and expensive endeavor done with like a 3D company. And and what kind of venue would even merit that? I don't know. I feel like any concert you could still do this with yeah. some dead person, and it would get a huge thing. And with the way computers work, I gotta imagine it's like ten times easier to do it now than it was ten years ago. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, uh, but also in uh, less holographic news, <laughs> sadly. Oh, but timely as fuck news. Yeah. Is it? French presidential mm-hmm. election comes down to Jacques Chirac, the current French president, and uh, Jean-Marie Lapit of the National Front, a radical far-right politician. Yeah, and the French election this, what, this week? Last week? Last was, week. Is down to Emmanuel Macron, president of France, and Marine Le Pen, the daughter and radical far-right politician. Yep, and... uh how things have changed. In 2002, it was considered an utter freak occurrence 
that the national front came in second. It was like, whoa, we can't believe this. And then when the runoff election happened, because that's how the French uh, presidential election works, the top two candidates go to a runoff where it's just them against each other. The French president in 2002, Jacques Chirac, slaughtered Le Pen. It was like 83% to 17%. It was not even close. And all the polls are projecting a super tight, almost 50-50 race today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're not good. The National Front is um, close to being Nazis. They're the mm. Nazis with the plausible deniability. Oof. Not a fan. I don't, I don't even not care. Coke okay. Zero version of Nazis still don't care for him. All right. Moving into movies of 2012. Something I've what? never heard of. What? We have a very strange array. Yes. Like, 92 was a weird... This is fucking bizarre. Uh, so April 15th we'll to the 21st, with. we got Sam Shepard, Diane Weist, Mark Duplass, Elizabeth Moss, Richard Jenkins, Diane Keaton, and Kevin Klein and Darling Companion. It's a movie about a dog. <laughs> Lawrence Kasdan and his wife made a movie about a dog. A dog? A dog. That's why I have such an amazing cast for a movie that's just about, like, I found this stray dog and he's giving me companionship where my sad husband isn't oh no we lost the dog yeah, i want to go find the dog that is a pretty incredible cast for a my dog skip <laughs> kind yes. of film yes uh, yeah. and he's got terrible reviews it's got like a 21 percent on rotten tomatoes i was like why why uh, Lawrence Kasdan? Why are you making a movie about a dog? Roger Ebert says it is depressing to reflect on the wealth of talent that conspired to make this inert and listless movie. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, Lord. Uh, uh, okay, we got another one. Timely, this movie is getting a TV show follow-up that was announced like two days ago. Wow. What? Jackie Siegel yes. and David A. Siegel and the Queen of Versailles? Yeah, which is a documentary about the Siegels who are idiot millionaires who made their idiot millions in timeshares and they want to build a hundred thousand square foot house oh, be fair. it's only ninety thousand square feet oh, okay I mean, it's how... down to like yeah. 85 frankly yeah. but i mean when you add in the eight thousand square foot master bedroom Jesus. which is a mansion by itself <laughs> like i started to do the math on like what's my square footage what's my neighbor's square footage and, like how much of this block how many houses? It's like 20 houses. So like The Comic-Con Convention Center. It is. It's like it's, I mean, we're past being a hotel. We, we yeah. They have a orchestra room, you know, <laughs> wow. specifically designed for when they're having big parties, a spot for your orchestra to play. Right. They um, went, a, a movie theater in the house that is two stories modeled on the Paris Opera. Yeah. And, These people uh, are morons. They did not <laughs> model their Versailles dream home on versailles paris they modeled it on the top three floors of the hotel in las vegas that is trying <laughs> to copy french architecture yeah it looks it looks like a it looks like a if a white castle won the lottery <laughs> this, this is a hundred percent a documentary you show to people who say they don't like documentaries. I'm, I mean, I'm, it is a train wreck fascinating because you have such an in with people with huge egos for a documentary. All you have to do is say, you're awesome, right? Oh, yeah, I'm totally awesome. Well, how about I film all of your awesomeness yeah. and you have nothing to fear from me because you're so awesome that everything I film about you will be awesome and your awesomeness will be on display 
for all the people to be impressed with how awesome you are. You yeah. know, that sounds like a good idea. I am so awesome that I have <laughs> nothing to fear from all my thoughts and comments just spewing out of my mouth and you filming everything I do. Yeah. Let's it's, do that. It's what reality shows should be. Right. Where they are not massaged to make the people look good. Because the thing is, they start building this ridiculous fucking house. And then the crash comes at the end of 2008, 2009. Now the thing is partially built, but they can't get it together to finish it because that's very, very expensive. And so when you have something partially built, it's like, it, it's worse than not having it built at all. <laughs> because, you know. Rain happens. Snow if, happens. Yeah, yeah, if you rain on drywall, drywall tends to fall apart and the floors get ruined and this and it's just yeah and they're just wandering around this massive compound with their their little dogs that they're ignoring and thinking that they look really cool and the, yeah discovery plus has just announced they are doing a follow-up series with jackie siegel yeah, where the I house believe, is still not done we ouch i believe i had their timeshare presentation in the timeshare that you see in this documentary that is uh, half finished and is the cause of him getting near bankruptcy. Ooh. I was in Las Vegas, 2008. Uh, my wife and I went to a timeshare as leeches, people going <laughs> to a timeshare, specifically not to buy a timeshare, but just right. to get the free stuff because we actually do have a timeshare, but that's a story for another day. But we sat through the presentation and the person presented how timeshares save lives and th that is shown in this documentary that, that they are teaching these people about how buying a timeshare will save your customers lives so you are just like a nurse or a doctor if you oh, close man. this timeshare on these people and the person selling us they're trying to sell us a timeshare was like my boyfriend died and she brought up her dead boyfriend five or 25 times somewhere in that range <laughs> and it was all about how the timeshare might have prevented it. And it was oh the God. weirdest thing I've ever sat through as she started showing me pictures of her dead boyfriend to try to sell me a timeshare. If share. only he could have visited Boca Raton one weekend out of every eight months, maybe he'd be alive. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, no, Queen of Versailles, definitely. I've never heard of this. Watch. I Man, I feel like yeah, I'm if, you're if you like reality TV, if you fucking hate reality TV and you want some schadenfreude reality TV. What a terrible yeah, title. Queen of Versailles just... is really fun. Sounds like a sequel like Elizabeth you know or something. Did that comedy series on documentaries about this? Uh, no, I don't think it did. Yet. No, there, I don't. Uh, there hasn't been a documentary now about it, but there, there really should be. There should be. Oh, did yeah. The, uh, they need to cue this one up. There's a lot they could do with it. And this. the doc is free on YouTube. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Have either of you sat through a timeshare presentation? Hell no. Yes. Yeah, I did. <laughs> no. You can get yeah. some free stuff. I mean, yeah. I no, my, it was because my roommate really wanted a free CD player. No. It depends yeah. on what's we free. We didn't have any goddamn money. Sitcoms always, just, portray, always portray it as something you get like a free trip to Vegas or some shit to watch a time show. Uh, let's see. I've gotten uh, free ski passes. Nope. I got uh, free tickets to Cirque du Soleil. Ooh. I got. Did they give it to you uh, afterwards? Yes. Yeah, you have to sit through 100%. Oh. Um, yeah, I've yeah. gotten some decent stuff, which you do the math. I'm like, well, I don't make this much per hour, so <laughs> I can just sit through this, and it's a net win. Yeah, exactly. We we got uh, snacks and drinks, and uh, he got a free portable stereo. If and, anyone, yeah, like I said, ever... we were starving students. Like, yeah. there's, I pretty much am there for the free meal. I'm just stealing cookies everywhere. 
Uh, if anyone ever, ever, ever thinks about buying a timeshare, look online. You can buy one for a penny huh. because there are so many people desperate to shed timeshares. They spent 30, 40, even $50,000 to buy because mm -hmm. all the fees keep building up mm -hmm. that they will sell it to you for one penny just because they don't want to pay the fees anymore. Uh, Fuck indeed. Um, but uh, moving on to the, another movie I have no familiarity with. Blythe Danner, Adam Lafer, Varamis, J.R. Ferguson. Hey, look, J.R. Taylor Schilling and uh, Zac Efron and the lucky one. Uh, it's a Nicholas Sparks adaptation. Oh, he's a soldier in the war and he finds this girl's picture and it becomes his lucky charm. And then he gets out of the war with his PTSD, which just means kind of staring out windows sometimes. <laughs> Um, he goes to find the girl and find out what's going on, and they find love. Yuck. And mm. don't forget, there's a passionate scene in the rain. Oh, because yeah. there has gotta to be. be. There has to Have be. Have either of you ever had a passionate scene in the rain in real life? No, Ooh. chicks don't like rain. <laughs> I made out while it was raining, yeah. Uh, I, so. I can't think of any like really intense, not, not like movie, rain. like running towards each other, yeah. jumping into each other's arms kind of. Thing, oh yeah, but... God. I, I would say that this film was also trying to answer the question of whether Zac Efron can age into acting as a full adult. Mm. It's, it's sort of his his not his big, quite there not yet. Quite there. I mean, the movie he's getting there. The movie is is pretty successful. Hundred million dollar domestic gross off of a twenty five million dollar budget. What, what was that? The same budget as uh, what was the movie earlier? Oh shit. Oh, Never mind. Uh, City of Joy. City of Joy. <laughs> City of Joy's budget, but actually successful. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a straight up romance where it's un unthreatening and it's a date movie. And yeah, yeah. whatever. Trying it all to... works out in the end. Yeah. And uh, a movie I wanted nothing to do with at all. Uh, I hope so. Some... Hold on a second. I got I to gotta suit up. I got my Killjoy feminist suit I got to put on. I, I can't believe. It's kind of like one of those suits that you use for dog training with the bites. I cannot. Be right back. All right, I'll be right back. I even even beyond Diana's rage, I even at the time, like I cannot believe you titled a book that that is just so stupid. It's just like so needlessly offensive. But now it stars now the book stars Gabriel Union, Gary Owen, Romany Malco, uh, Jennifer Lewis, uh, Terrence J, Regina Hall, Megan Good, Jerry Ferrara, Taraji P. Henson, uh, Michael Ely, and Kevin Hart. It's number one at the box office. Think like a man. I'm Cedric. Sorry. Jesus has my heart. I love Jesus too. Hey, give me some for Jesus. Guys will be guys. What is wrong with the men of this generation? But on April 20th. What do you call the three rings of marriage? Engagement ring, wedding ring, and the suffering. When women get their playbook. Act like a lady. But think like a man. Oh, that's not good. The game is on. This is war, gentlemen. <laughs> I don't go out with guys who don't open the door for me. Really? No, he didn't. Think like a man. Oh. So it's based. This movie's based on the book "Think Like a Man, Act Like a Lady." But it's but it's not. It's not based on the book. The book exists. The book in exists. The universe. They, yeah. You can see in the trailer they buy a copy of the book with Steve Harvey on it. Yes, and they talk about you mean Steve Harvey, the Family Feud guy. <laughs> yes, Steve Harvey. SteveHarvey.com. You mean Steve Harvey, the man who has all the answers to the romance questions I have? No, Steve. <laughs> I don't. Look, I. I, I Steve, Steve Harvey is only the only reason I love him is how he looks when he's disappointed, and that's. He, I've only seen him in memes. I have never 
seen him in his natural occurring environment. You never saw I've Kings never, of Comedy? Yeah, no stand-up. Which, by the way, he was he, he was the person I would have bet on the least of Kings of Comedy. Holy shit. But now look mm. where we stand in 2022. The most successful and alive. But uh, mm. this was a modest success, but like really had all the earmarks based on a best-selling book, big-ass cast. Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart is not... Kevin? Yet a movie, it's like, it's the first time I think he's billed first, uh, but he, the rise of Kevin Hart as a movie star is happening 10 years ago. Mm. Yeah, that, that's true. So here's, here's really where my problem is. I, I am allergic to anything that treats men and women as separate species. Mm-hmm. I don't care if they're from Mars or Venus. I don't care if they're lady or man. I don't care if they're following the rules or the game. Anything that tries to give you cheat codes for the foreign species <laughs> is fucked up and wrong. And I hate so many of these things are about lying and playing mind games right. to trick people into being the person you want to be with when you should just cut bait and run. Figure out what you want to give to another person and what you want to get from another person. Now go find that person. But it's all, all so much about like, yeah, you got to think like a man. And this is how men actually think. And so if you adjust your behavior, you can trick them and to, you can hide them in your closet. And now you tricked them and you trapped the man. Good job, ladies. That's what you're supposed to do. No, just talk. Just talk and tell the truth like humans. Yeah, so easy. God. You'll get laid more. <laughs> and- uh, so, yeah, the basic idea of the movie is that these women have read Steve Harvey's book. And then, and they are using it with the men in their life. And then the men find the book. And then, so now they have the cheat codes and they start messing with them. That is an incredible way to adapt the book. As in, it's a point for cleverness. It's a story about how people discover and love my book. Yes, (laughs) yes, it is. uh, Written by Charlie Kaufman. What the fuck? I would love to have him go after this. It's like an adaptation, but a romantic comedy. This and, and obviously, like you know, this isn't really marketed towards us. From the director of Barbershop, by the way, Barbershop, which I like. Uh, yeah. But but just like you know, it's like one of those Gary Marshall Valentine's Day movies, intercutting stories of uh, mm-hmm. large cast, and it's just romantic comedy. I'm not into this, but it's didn't cost a lot and made made its money back, and then some. Think yeah. like a man. <laughs> made a sequel. This this they just knocked a... off the Hunger Games. We've had Hunger Games for a month. Oh my god! Yeah. All right. All right. And yeah, and I like everybody in it, and I just, I want better for them. Yeah. Man, I mean, this... I want better for everybody for you. At home. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for jumping on that grenade, Diana, because I really did not want to. Um... Almost. Rem- I haven't seen it, but it almost reminds me of Shallow Hal, where they have Tony Robbins come in as the Tony magical Robbins. figure. That, that starts is bizarre. the movie in motion. Mm. So here you have another self-help book guru where <laughs> he's the one setting the plot in motion. Yes. Even though he doesn't The guy with the walrus mustache yeah. who's been married for like 80 years. He's got all the advice. He knows about dating because he last dated in like, what, 1975? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Get on your best disco outfit <laughs> and go out and whip inflation now. There you go. <laughs> well, uh, Diana, can you keep on your feminism pants for a second as we get into TV of 2012, okay. April 15th to the 21st? Because girls debuts. Oh, goody. Uh, you know, I am the voice of a generation. The generation <laughs> that hates people who are voices of generations. That's The character said that while high. Yes. <laughs> 
Okay, it was not supposed to be taken as, no, I am the voice of the generation. It was supposed to be taken I, as, how stupid this character mm. is that while high, she thinks she's so awesome when she has an accomplished diddly squad. I yeah. love this show, and I really hated a lot of the criticism towards Lena Dunham for mm. confusing her in real life for the character she's portraying on the show, which is intentionally narcissistic and irritating and an idiot. And yeah. and I, I just remember like, oh, I love hating her so much. And then she walks out of her room with like her, you know, midriff shirt with six plastic lizards stapled to it. Like, oh, fuck, this person is so wonderfully awful. <laughs> I really like the show. I think that's part of why I had trouble getting into it because I I just prefer to not watch things where I hate the characters on that level. Like I have to have some more empathy for a character and be like, oh no, what are you doing? Please don't. But it's kind of like why I didn't want to watch Queen of Versailles for a while mm -hmm. until I finally just made myself do it because it's like, I don't want to watch rich assholes being assholes. Right. Because I'm just going to sit here seething, thinking, fuck these fucking assholes. Well, these aren't rich people for the most part. Well, yeah. kind of. Upper and middle so class. Character. I love the cast, though. That's the other thing. There's yes. so many good people in this cast. Yeah. The main character in the very first episode gets cut off from her parents' wealth. Mm -hmm. Great. That's an excellent thing that could have been worked with. But after which she experiences no financial hardships whatsoever <laughs> in New York. We never see yeah. her scrambling for rent. We never see her defaulting on her student loans. We never see her be dirt poor. These characters live in a finance dreamland. You know, uh, there there is not that aspect of reality. It tries in other ways to have some gritty-ish realism, but then every character says the wittiest thing you or I would ever say in our life multiple times per episode. <laughs> uh, yeah. but you know, I, I never thought about it until right now, but the comparison with friends, I feel like it's just sitting there. You think so? It's like, they're like, mm. they have the monetary problems of the folks on friends. It's just their apartments aren't as well lit. Yeah. Just, <laughs> they don't really ever do much uh, like yeah. extravagant. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, I mean, obviously it was being compared to sex in the city before it even yes. premiered. Oh, and, yeah. Well, know, did, I think it gave us television's first ass eating scene. True. <laughs> I think it did. And, Good uh, job, Allison Williams. And it also gave us, let's not forget Adam Driver. Adam Driver hey, was yeah. out of nowhere, like ugly, hot, super intense, just a sexy Buffalo Bill voice, uh, <laughs> the unlikely lover of uh, Lena Dunham's character. I, I, I I I think he was a big part of why I like the show, uh, mm. just because he just he felt he felt dangerous. Like, what is this dude's deal? Is he going <laughs> to explode? Uh, now now Adam Driver is one of my favorite SNL hosts. So <laughs> I love I love Adam Driver. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Girls debuts. I think what runs six seasons. Yeah, and... something like that. Yeah, it's one of those. I feel like I need to go back and give another chance. I never. I only watched the first couple episodes, and I was like, I don't like any of these people they can go get themselves they go fuck themselves but i loved it especially, especially maybe, when you realize that maybe i'm just looking at it the wrong way yeah because the joke is typically on hannah and yeah. and she's intentionally irritated i i loved it but i did never finish it because mm -hmm. you know our world of television options sort of changed right in the middle of girls run but so speaking of uh, uh endings ring, the ringer is is canceled i don't even know what ringer is I thought uh it was sarah michelle geller oh, stars right. as a twin on the run from the mob, <laughs> decides to slip into the life of her identical twin sister who killed herself so okay. that she can hmm. escape the mob. Oh. Okay. 
Interesting. Didn't see it. Um, nope. When and, a season. And uh, <laughs> the debut of Ack! It's the debut of Kathy. Not Kathy with a C, unfortunately. Kathy with a K. I don't know anything about Kathy. Stars Kathy Griffin. Mm-hmm. It's ah. her attempt at a talk show. Uh, I oh. think it ran two seasons. And it is pretty darn hilarious if you like her type of humor, which I do. Can mm-hmm. we play that clip real quick? Yes. Are we interviewing her crew? Yes. Anything that could ever happen in this job? I don't know. Because I just had my period and I forgot to put on a tampon. <laughs> guess what? And this chair is white. It's going to be a long day for you. So if you do need to replace my tampon, have you ever done it before? What do you mean replace? Like, like get you a new one or... Like if I'm busy and I can tell it's time for me to change my tampon and I'm too famous to do it myself, and I just go, tampon, then you would run up to my crotch and do... I would just give it a quick pull. Yeah. I'll see you, I guess, next time I menstruate. Perfect. <laughs> I didn't even hear about that. It was on Bravo, I guess. Yep. NYC 22 debuts, another show. Field training officer Daniel Yoda Dean supervises six rookie cops as they navigate their way uh, through their first day at Upper Manhattan's 22nd Precinct. Wow, a New York cop show. What will they think of next? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Mad Men, Signal 30. This is, if it's not my favorite episode of Mad Men, it's in the top three. We start out with Pete going and watching an old driver's ed video. Did any of you watch those when you were learning how to drive the scare you straight videos? Yeah, I think I've seen I, one on YouTube. I never got to watch what was Red Pavement or whatever it is. I, I just watched one where a Scottish professional Formula One driver tells you about how you should not jerk the wheel, but turn it gradually with finesse. <laughs> nice. I, was uh, I had a driver's ed class. And our instructor said, now, don't worry. I'm not going to show you any of those old, really graphic driver's ed video. And instead, he showed us like a pretty graphic one from the 1980s. So I did get a little of that. And it was interesting to see Pete, who is a grown man experiencing it, because he lived in Manhattan his whole life. So he's never needed to learn how to drive. He moves out to the suburb. He's having a bit of an existential crisis. He doesn't feel like he's belonging anywhere we see the show exploring young people being concerned about the changes around them we've really only seen the older generations you Mm. know uh, people in their late 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s being weirded out by all the changes but it it shows a young person being concerned about it and it has a beautiful dinner party scene where of course don overshadows pete (laughs) but Mm. the creme de la creme scene is when Lane and Pete get in a fight fight in the office. Mr. Campbell, you and I are going to address that insult. Are you kidding me? No, you're a grimy little pimp. As soon as I raise my hands, I warn you, it shall be too late to run. (laughs) Fine. You want to take your teeth out, or you want me to knock them out? I know cooler heads should prevail, but am I the only one who wants to see this? <laughs> I love that line. I draw the curtain. Man, now I want to see awesome. how this ends. I Man, I love Mad Men so much, but it scares me to go back and revisit because it is sometimes horribly crippling in its depressive nature of just life in general. And but it's meant to be that. It's it is. meant to be an exploration of that. It, it, but I also, I 
stopped watching in the fifth season. And oh. from des- from description, I'm like, I got to catch up. So I bought the DVD and like, I saw that re- trying to figure out what episode of Mad Men you're on by reading the description is like, oh, Oh, Holy no. shit! What the fuck? Yeah. Where was I? <laughs> I don't remember any. Mm-hmm. Like this all sounds the same. So everything is just this fucking existential melancholy. This this stupid weird world these men built for themselves. Oh man! I mean, you were saying that line from the Scorpion King was a pretty good threat, but by the time I raise my, it will be too late. <laughs> that was almost a parody of a British guy starting a fight. Oh, yeah, I it's, say, and and he, totally, he totally gets into like a Marquis of Queensbury stance. <laughs> <laughs> like old timey Vog. Ah, oh. oh, Lane is such a good character. Uh, Fisticuffs, old chap. Yes. And, uh, oh, speaking of can't drive, Tina Fey. Why do I remember that? Oh, it, comedians in cars getting coffee. Tina Fey doesn't know how to drive either. Um, New Yorker. But 30 Rock, Murphy, the episode Murphy Brown lied to us. She's trying to decide if she wants to have a baby or not. And her partner does not. And that is a huge conflict. This and it's something that you don't often see in uh, t- television shows because it's such a divergent lifestyle path that you could take that one person wanting to do it and one person not wanting to do it can often end relationships, honestly. It, it, yeah. Is this Matt Damon? I can't, I'm trying to remember. Who's her boyfriend? Uh, <laughs> handsome man number five. Not John Hamm. <laughs> no. no. Uh, okay. But, is uh, it still Beeper King? It might still be Beeper King. It's not know. Beeper King. No, no ah, this guy seems good. like he's a decent guy. Right. I just can't remember his name. Okay. okay. Dirty Rock, Murphy Brown lied to us. Finally, video games of 2012, 10 years ago, April 15th to the 21st. Uh, SCP containment breach on for Windows? I'm amazed that they made a game off of basically of internet crowdsource story. SCP is all about those weird objects like the Ark of the Covenant in the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Sure. Picture a warehouse filled with nothing but those things. And anyone can write a story about what's in box number 12,753. And it's about the inter- the organization protecting all those objects. But it's crowdsourced, a fan created, and yet somehow it got a game. I don't know how they worked out the licensing for that, but it's, it's impressive. A game of released in 2012 or 2021 with multiplayer. Maybe it's still going. It's multiplayer component anyway. Shocking. House of the Dead 4 arrives on PS3. I love House with, of the Dead. Did you play it with PS Move? Hell no. I didn't play this at all. I hated PS Move, but I mean, that's it's a minor tragedy, and I think they've only just developed a technology around it but uh cr with the death of crt television light gun technology essentially disappeared it's not something uh. we can do in our homes very easily without sensors you know if you had nintendo zapper you could just point it at your screen it's good to go very accurate high definition lcd television sort of ended that and so house of the dead has to try and move on it's both an arcade and home experience with no real ideal way to play it in the home love house of the dead though they just put out the remake which you can play with your joy cons and i just don't know how to feel about that i want to send a light gun they finally made one that works with uh, hd televisions and it's like 200 dollars. <laughs> someday i say to myself trials evolution is that an Xbox 360? Uh, that looks a f- like a pretty fun 2D slash 3D better version of Excite Bike, where you can make your own track. Trials is essentially like Excite Bike, but your goal is not to race, but to survive stunts. And it's pitch perfect precision sometimes, and uh, incredible physics. But it is kind of addictive, and anybody—it's one of those things anybody can play because you're just 
steering this gravitationally devoid bike up and down ramps and stuff. And it's way more, I mean, it's way more fun than it sounds, I swear. It's, that's why it's a good series. 3D Classics Kid Icarus on 3DS. This is the definitive version of Kid Icarus. It is not a ROM. <laughs> Hear me out. It's not a ROM. This is a complete remake where they created a new game where they gave it new graphics. They well. made the controls tighter. The background is gorgeous. And you can play it in 3D if you want. The 3D Classic series was Nintendo's attempt to translate remake all their old classic games onto a 3d environment and it failed miserably they well, did six and stopped and this part, is the last one. part of the reason it failed is because nintendo was so fucking irritatingly nintendo and they come up with this great idea with remastering and tightening up games and old games put, putting them to 3d and then charging an incredible amount for it, the worst things in its roster and then releasing one every eight months <laughs> <laughs> so urban champion that's the one you start with i fucking i hated it it's this is one of those reasons that nintendo is infuriating did they give you mario brothers or donkey kong the games you like no they started with kid zelda icarus in 3d would be awesome right. i would love to play uh zelda one or even zelda two in 3d with tighter going by their own release schedule we would have had to wait until right now until they finally address those <laughs> fucking games because god damn nintendo and then finally blades of time is out on pc i vaguely remember that in 2012 we got a, a book coming in see didn't fin finish the games this time we got 50 shades freed Ooh, 50 shades the big freed. finale the big finale yeah wrapping up all those loose plot lines and all the rich <laughs> character development you've wanted. Does, does everybody finally come? Hopefully. I, I, don't, I don't know much <laughs> about this book series. Mm. A climax you've been waiting for. But um, before mm. we tell you who died and uh, who was born during this segment of the show, we got to tell you to patreon.com slash laser time. So those five bucks, we'll throw you some extra stuff. It's how you support the show. It's how we uh, keep our ads to a minimum. And we appreciate everyone who's kept us going all these years. Hopefully we make it. I'm... Fingers crossed for 10 seasons, for real. And then Diane and I will do fucking 80, 70, 60. And that's, that's, that's all I really want to do after that. Di, where can people find you at? They can find me on the Twitter at listenernerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast. That's 302010podcast. And next week, so you know how time is based, like 24 hours is like the amount of time it takes for the Earth to rotate sure. once and so that's what we call a day and a year is how long it takes for the sun or to go sun. Uh, whoa slow or, down for, diana we're not all scientists yeah. for the earth to go around the sun i should say because i'm copernican that way so time is kind of based on like being here on earth so next week we ask the question oh, how boy. does one find out it's friday the 13th if we're in space oh god <laughs> fucking god. wonderful oh uh, also we have I, I should probably let uh, It's Me Sarah know that we have a Richard Linklater movie with Jack Black and Shirley MacLaine that is wonderful. wonderful. God, I love that movie. Is that, I hope, is that the B word? The B word. Oh, hell yeah. Cannot yeah. wait. JR, you hit a, a milestone worthy of 302010 mention just this week, yep. right? This week, we are on Talking Terrific Television, available where all your podcasts are found. We are covering the last episode of The Sopranos, Made in America, everything except the last five minutes. Ooh. We decided we could not cover the diner scene in anything but an episode just solely devoted to itself. All so right. <laughs> this is the penultimate episode of Talking Terrific Television, where we will discuss Tony Soprano and what happens to 
every member of his family. It might be one of the greatest episodes of television of all time. Well, as, as we know from a car commercial, the kids are still alive. And commuting. <laughs> car commercials are canon. It's true. It's true. David Chase said so. So patreon.com slash laser time. But with that out of the way, got to find out who died during this period. Oh, I stumbled upon this. So sad. We oh. lost a comedy great last week. <laughs> we, we truly did. In 1992, we lost Benny Hill, who was only 68 and had been playing Dirty Old Men for like 50 years. How is that possible? It, wow. It is, he could theoretically be alive today. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, could Gilbert Yeah, there's comedians who reach 98. This is very true. That was, that, was, that was probably the only show I ever discovered where every member of the cast was dead. But Comedy Central used to like start the day by playing Benny Hill. And it's... You know it's terrible, but there's it so is. much TNA, and I, I just hear uh, the UK is kind of quietly retired reruns over there. Um, well, yeah, that. because, I mean, it really is just like, it's a dirty old man, and he, like, peeps on a girl, and then he chases her, and her dress falls off. And, I mean, it's not all that, but that's most of it. generally what people It always remember. ends with that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he did other stuff. He's very broad, very silly, fun guy. Sid, uh, the Italian job, he's got a part in the Italian job. He's a lot of fun. But at least he had very solemn music played at his funeral. (laughs) Why did somebody do this? God damn it. Uh, And why does it have 26,000 views? The slowed down version of Yakety Sax, the Benny Hill theme song. Oh, love Yakety Sax. No matter what, the man figured out if you speed things up and put yakety sacks behind it, literally everything is funny. People did that to 9-11 footage, and I have to admit, <laughs> I did laugh. Uh, oh, once we fi- I did. People running to that music is always funny. When we figured out how to burn CDs, we used to do this all the time. I'd always slide in the Benny Hill theme into mix CDs. And then we'd stop at a stoplight. I'd roll down all the windows and crank the sound up. I'm like, everybody keep a straight face. Look ahead, nobody talk, and let's blow out this intersection with, with yakety sacks. First one to laugh loses. So much fun, just annoying the hell out of uh, college intersections with that fucking music. Who else? Is, who else is dead in two thousand two? Oh, well, we also lost Robert Urich, who was fifty five. Who was what? Spencer for hire. Mm. TV, he is on a lot of TV shows. Uh, Byron White, who is a professional football player and U.S. Supreme Court justice, what? who is eighty four. Yeah, no, he was he was in the NFL draft in nineteen thirty two. No, 1938, sorry. Round one pick, though. Wow. Also, uh, he wrote some really shitty, shitty decisions, frankly, for the Supreme Court, including the one that upheld sodomy laws. He wrote a dissent to Roe v. Wade and to Miranda versus Arizona, and he was replaced by someone a lot better, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So, Mm. suck it, Byron White. Sorry. And anyway, let's see. Oh, also in 2002, we lost uh, anthropologist Thor Heyerdahl, who's 87. He was a pretty interesting guy. He theorized that Egyptians could have sailed to South America. Whoa. And so he built a boat out of reeds to try and do it. I I think he mostly made it. Right. The Khan Tiki expedition. I want that job. Yeah. It was like they both both got pyramids. (laughs) They both got gourds. I get <laughs> pottery is similar and yeah, it's pretty neat. And then in 2012, we lost Levon Helm, 71. He was the drummer for the band. Awesome drummer. And we lost America's teenager, Dick Clark. He was 82. Right. They, they still keep his name on the new year special. Yes. Dick Clark's it's... new year's Eve with Ryan, Ryan Seacrest Ryan or something Seacrest. like that. Yeah. They're both of their names are in it. So that I, that's got to confuse young people stuck at home on new year's Eve. Uh, He's been dead 10 years. Why is it still his show? Nice. <laughs> 
Uh, I mean, I, I think because his name was more synonymous with New Year's Eve than the New Year's, whatever the actual title of the show is. New Year's Rock and Eve. It's a tradition, man. Yeah, um, it's a tradition. All right, with that, are we going to find out who lived, who was born in this period with Bubba the Birthdays? Oh, birthday is a doodly do, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong do. Someone, we haven't talked about a movie of hers in a little bit, but she's popped back up in the news. Born April 17th, 1972 in Houston, Texas. So turn in 50. 50. She grew up uh, in Charleston, West Virginia. Dad was a chemical engineer for Union Carbide. So please Google Bhopal Disaster to know what I think of that. She grew up very conservative. She said she was practically Amish. Went to Deniston College in Ohio and changed her major from chemistry to theater. Hmm. Now, I know none of that helps. No, so. not at all. I don't know why I'm <laughs> contemplating it. West Virginia. So let's... She doesn't have an accent. I'll say that. Um, she seems more waspy than, than Southern, frankly. Mm. But stuff of hers that we've talked about. Deconstructing Henry, she's mostly cut out of, but she does appear. A Law & Order episode called Aftershock, and then three years later was in the TV movie Aftershock, Earthquake in New York. <laughs> Not helping. Okay, then she was in uh, Washington Square and on Felicity, where she met her first husband, Scott Foley. Boom. Nothing. Got nothing. All right. The rest of these, a lot of these aren't going to help. Mr. Magoo, dude, where's my car? Jesus. Valentine's Day, which everybody's in. Yeah. Pearl Harbor, the invention of lying, the Arthur remake. Jennifer Garner? It is Jennifer Garner. Oh, okay. Woo. Oh, goodness. And catch and release the kingdom, Ghost of Girlfriends, past Juno, and five years on Alias. Jennifer and Garner. she's been back in the news because of her ex to telling her and the kids before the news broke that, yes, he's engaged to Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> I didn't even know that. <laughs> yep. That just broke a couple of days ago. Wasn't even. Yep. A... Yeah. Benifer, it's back It's back on. on. It was Officially. For a slight delay. Thank goodness. Donna, um, actually put a ring on it. You know what? On that note, why don't we close out with an appropriate song, Somebody to Love by uh, George Michael from the Freddie Mercury tribute concert we mentioned from 30 yeah. years ago. One of the one of the most star-studded line, lineups this side of Woodstock. But thank you for listening to the show. Patreon.com slash LazerTime. We appreciate you listening. Tell a friend. We'll see you next week. Take us out, George. I work hard. He was hard.